Hello again, friends! And you are our friends, and welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru on another cold winter's day here in 2024. A very professional beginning so far. I'm your host, the great Brian Last. And I got a new one of these back after the kids broke the last one. We're going to talk reviews and questions and retro figures and questions and all sorts of stuff with this man, the leader of the cult of Cornette, Mr. Jim Cornette. Show is jam-packed. So many subjects running through your mind, Brian. And brother, you showed up for work on your show. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. Yeah, you can't miss your show where you're the star, but where you're merely the supporting player over across the street on the experience, you've you flaked off this past episode. Thank you, by the way, Solomon Grundy himself, Brian R. Solomon, for stepping in the dedicated and timely person that he is, stepping in to take care of filling that void. He he filled my cavity as as well as it could oh, be filled. Really? And 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 people have, have seen and heard by now that experience, and they may have heard it as, as it was going on through the windows. But nevertheless, now you're back because it's your show, but you had the flimsy excuse, Brian, that, well, you know, I've, I'm married, I have a lovely wife, and I have cho small children. Actually, you have small and medium children. I don't know, do they come in large, grande? What is the next step up on the, the description of the children's sizes? Trenta. Trenta. Well, you got, you got a number of children, and you say you, you had the family outing planned, and, and I said, well, you know, go you deserve it. You're a maniac. You work all the time. So, Brian, I got to ask you the question now in front of the public and everybody, that big family outing that you had planned at, it was going to be so wonderful to commune with the small and the medium and the Trente family and your lovely spouse. How did that go, Brian, for you? For me? Yes, for you. It did not go very well. Uh, <laughs> you already know a lot of this. Chase doesn't. The listeners obviously don't. I was going to go spend a few days with my family. There was a lot of things going on. One of my daughters was competing at gymnastics. We were going to take a few days away. The plan was, they're going there. It's not too far from where we live. They're going there on Friday, and I'm going to meet them there the next day on Saturday. That's why Brian Solomon, who's a wonderful guy, filled in for me and put up with your abuse. And the next morning... He likes it. And well, actually, that night, that Friday night, when I was getting ready to leave, I just started feeling hot, just like I'm sweating and... I'm feeling down. I'm feeling sick. Am I getting myself pumped up because I don't want to go? Is it because I'm sick? So I order a bunch of COVID tests, like a variety of them from CVS and DoorDash. They brought them over. I was going to take the one we had in the house, but it expired. The liquid was bad. Ooh. No COVID. So then I order a bunch of thermometers from uh, CVS also. Or actually, that was from Walgreens. No fever. And the worst thing was they only had the fucking rectal ones available. They didn't have rectal ones. It was one that you stick in your ear, which sucks. And then there's one you put under your tongue and your mouth and it takes five seconds. And I don't trust that one either. And then the ones you scan your forehead with, those are bullshit. Every oh, time we yeah, go to the doctor, it says I'm 93 degrees. Yeah. yeah I mean, you could be laid out on a slab, right? But, and that's the thing. When my mother, Mama Cornette, used to take my temperature, 
It used to take probably about a minute and a half to three minutes. And she said, sit there, don't move, keep your mouth closed. And so I don't trust anything but that. But go ahead. And that was the rectal? No, that's why she was telling me me keep my mouth closed. (laughs) Don't Don't say anything to the Don't scream. Don't don't say anything to the authorities or anybody (laughs) that asks. Well, the next morning, Saturday morning, I'm feeling sicker and sicker. I'm like, I know I have to go there. I have to get in the car. Eventually, I'm like, I have to lay down. (laughs) Pretty soon after that, the vomiting started. Not sure what triggered it. My sister's here. She ate the same stuff as me the night before. She's fine. So I'm throwing up. Now I feel bad. Maybe it was your sister that triggered it. Now I have to let my family know I'm not coming because there's no way I could jump in the car and drive for an hour and a half. And I can't. You would, and you would need uh, windshield wipers on the inside of the windshield also from that projectile vomiting. I was expecting to get some shit from Suzanne and the kids. Instead, what I got was a picture sent back to me of my son, who's two and a half, covered in Oreo vomit. Because <laughs> he apparently just vomited all the Oreos he ate, which are all the Oreos he's ever had in his life. <laughs> and then while that happened, my daughter competing hurt her knee and went down. So I was getting now reports from the field. Like one kid's down, one kid's throwing up, but all the heat was off me. That's the big thing. And then they came home the next day. I was still sick. My son was sick. My daughter was hurt. Then Suzanne got sick. And uh, this is a great story. Why would you ask me about this? I'm not laughing about your daughter getting hurt, but I'm laughing about everything else. Because I know you had such high, such high apple pie in the sky hopes of this dream little getaway weekend that you were about to have. And I didn't know until after the fact when it was already over, because I wasn't going to bother you. You're out there frolicking with nature's creatures and up in the, up in the woods and you're watching the gymnastics and you're visiting with your family. I'm not going to bother you. And I say, how was it the day you were supposed to be back? And you said, well, I had projectile vomiting and everybody in the family is either injured or sick. But how are you? See, I have manners. But then I said, how are you? But how are you? Well, I'm, I'm good. I've been good. We were freezing our, our keisters off down here. It's colder than a witch's tit in Louisville, Kentucky. It has been. It's going to snow again. Sub-zero wind chills. All that type of thing. But nothing to complain about with the monumental stature of your vacation family weekend so take another take another show off that's what basically that that amounts to you cursed yourself i got kippelman ready for this weekend we're gonna try it again no every time you take off something bad's gonna happen now you've established a precedent so your only option is to be here with us and you can't take off because without you there's no jim Cornette show (laughs) well that's a see see how the pressure lies heavy Heavy lies the pressure on the crown of the, where's the thorns? I don't know what fucking. Do we need the vacation together? Is that what it is? We have to (laughs) take the show on the road wherever we go. You're going to get people started talking if we start taking vacations together. No, our entire families, the whole clan. Well, my clan and your clan. I'd rather just be you and me. Well, no. But see, then people would talk. Yeah, you can get your own room, by the way. No, we have our people with us and we all (laughs) go out there. Go out there. A caravan. Where? where are we going out there? Across the country. We'll hit all the big spots. What are the big spots to you? You've been to St. Louis. Have you ever been in the Arch? 
Um, no, it looks it looks a little fucking flimsy to me from See, where I video. stand on the ground. Jim Cornette's travelogue. There's a vi- we can get so much content See, out of I this. Don't, I don't trust your big spots. You don't know the good burgoo places. You want to go to St. Louis. You want to go to the Arch instead of Emos. You're just you're all fucked up. Jim Cornette goes and eats pizza. I think is a good concept, and I think we could have fun with that. Jim Cornette tries different restaurants. Jim Cornette goes to one of the major attractions in the country. There's potential for chaos, <laughs> especially with something that's up in the air. There's potential oh, for all sorts of chaos. No, there's not, because I'll be standing on the ground and pointing at it. I'll not be up in the air anymore. I've, 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 I've flown my, my limit of aerial miles, whether being flown, propelled, hung, suspended, or swung. What's the tallest building you've been in? When I was a kid... And my parents took me to New York, New York City. We did go in the Empire State Building, but I don't remember. I don't know if we went. I was fucking four, right? I don't know if we went to the top of it or not. But I, I remember that I was told we were there. And uh, otherwise than that, I, it, it, I've been in tall buildings in Philadelphia or in uh, Manhattan or whatever at some point or another. But I don't tend to stand there and look out the window and I'm trying to think just as a, I can't imagine what would have caused me to be 60 or 70 or more floors up anywhere. So I don't, I don't know the answer to your question now that I've brought everybody down. They say the Empire State Building, the line for, I guess the line just to go up is like the longest wait for any attraction or ride, I think, out there. Because you have to go through like two different elevator banks. You have to go through different security checks. Well, see, that would be to me like having to stand in line to get kicked in the balls. It, 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 you, the only thing that can make the experience any worse is you got to wait and wait and wait. The fuck? The only thing that can make the experience any worse is if I take off another week. The, uh, that, there, there you go. See, you. I'm back. I'm back, ladies and gentlemen. All right, he's back, and and we're glad. I'm glad to see you're back, especially after seeing your front. But hey. I've got to bring you up to date on something because I've been, I've been while you've been frolicking around the toilet bowl, bowing before the porcelain god. I had a bucket too. I, have, I had a bucket, Mister Chris. Oh. Suzanne, and then Suzanne bought these like because of all this. She had me buy this on Amazon, these medical grade barf bags. What? And I'm like, I'm not using this. I'm just going to use the bucket. I'll rinse it out if I throw up a lot in there or if it's chunky or something. <laughs> is this like, something you need to keep on hand? I didn't How often think so. is somebody bucket worthy in that household? And by the way, these bar it's not like you can get like a five pack or anything. It's you can get like 75 of them or whatever it fucking does. So fuck, like, how many times in the, is, is everybody in the house going to throw up in the next fucking 10 years? 75 times? I don't know. I mean, we could use them as gifts and give them away to people. I don't know who or why. Full or empty? Maybe we could use them for something. I don't know if they could be used for compost. Hey, hey, uh, hold on here. If I could get a cornet face printed on them and, and sell them to the people who are AEW live event ticket holders. In advance of the the event, we might have money making opportunity here. Cornet barf bag. The other thing is, why don't we make T-shirts to say Jim Cornet sucks, and we should sell those to the AEW fans, and then they're actually paying you. 
Well, but then, see, the reverse, that's like the corny coin. That's then what Brian they, Bosworth did. You ever hear about well, that? Well, they, they, they not only won't buy the shirts if they know that I'm selling them, but they'll send some of the other shirts that they didn't buy back, and I'll have to refund those. It'll cost me money. <sighs> but anyway, oh, and I, I was going to bring something up while you've been gone flittering about, as I mentioned. I've been trying to keep up with what's going on, not only in the wrestling, but in the world at large. I've been watching the news, trying to keep up with the the happenings. Did you see the the latest story coming out of the state of Colorado? Somebody got arrested. Did you hear about this? Uh, I don't know specifically what you're talking about. No, I don't follow Colorado. Colorado police arrested a man for murdering a hooker that he had hired. And he was arrested after because it was circumstantial evidence. Now, just because that he admitted to hiring the hooker. And then just because the guy's roommate said that he owed this guy a thousand dollars, but the guy told him that he'd call it even if the roommate would dig him a 10 foot hole. And the roommate said, no, nah, I'm good. So, Apparently, he instead, the the man that was arrested, threw her in the river. But uh, the circumstantial evidence also extends to when they arrested him, he had a severed human hand in his pocket. He had one hand in his pocket and the other was swinging a machete. Where are you seeing these stories? I have not seen this. This was on the news, on on the television news. And the guy had no criminal record. It shocked everybody. He had no criminal record. He was gainfully employed as a security guard. And so maybe that was maybe it was a pickpocket. He stopped the pickpocket the hard way. He just forgot to pull it out. They just arrested a guy here in New York yesterday after they did a thing on the news saying I were looking for him. Like within a week or so, he slashed five people, stabbed them, not slashed them, stabbed them on the subway. They arrest him. He's a hospital greeter. <laughs> Jeez. Is that the reason he's doing this? Or yeah, well, you he, know. He, was, he was bored. He wanted more people to say hello to. Oh, no. So he's like, hey, hey, take that. Okay, now, now you go over on 4th Street at General Hospital. I'll be the, at the door. I'll hold it open for you. That'd be awful if he's the one who stabs you and then you get taken to the hospital and he's the one there. <laughs> well. Good to see you hey, again. Door to door. He's a full service motherfucker. Hey, well, this is Crime Watch. Um, and, and also, it, it, here's another thing. It's an anniversary this past week. If you just a few days ago as we sit here, are you aware of the big anniversary? Uh, there are several. It's. 40 years from 1984, and it's 30 years from 1994, and it's 20 years from 2004. There are lots of anniversaries. There are, there are no specifics contained therein. I don't know if I've... I haven't told this story in, in years. Maybe I have not told you this story, but in very brief, did I tell you the story the one time over the last 20 years or whatever the fuck it was that I considered on a limited basis attempting to fly domestically? I can't imagine. I don't remember anything like that, and I think I would. Okay, well, you know, I've I've gone to merry old England twice, heavily drugged and sedated and, you know, oblivious to my surroundings, but I have not 
seriously entertained the thought of getting on an airplane to go anywhere in the United States for many, many years, right? But when I was in TNA, I remember we've talked about the trip, Orlando to Louisville or my house to the impact zone, whichever way you want to phrase it, 862 miles. And at first, as, as I've mentioned, I'd made the deal with Jeff Jarrett where, oh, well, I'll come down for the pay-per-view of the TV taping afterwards, maybe every, that one or every other one. It was going to be like eight times a year I was going to go. And that lasted about two months. And then he talked me into every fucking taping, every pay-per-view. So at one point, twice a month, I'm driving that 1,700-mile round trip. And finally, there was... This was right toward the end of my tenure there in, in 2009. And there was a time where I, I would get so anxious to get home after two or three days or maybe even four days sometimes, those tapings and show went to two hours, etc. I would leave at six o'clock in the morning from the Double Tree over there at Universal. And I had it timed where I could get through Atlanta before rush hour and I could skirt through Chattanooga and the time zone changed into Nashville. And I could make the most of the traffic and I could be home in 14 hours. Eight o'clock that, that evening, 862 miles. It was a challenge, but it was doable. And goddamn this one trip, everything as I there was construction. And there was traffic schmazes. And there was the rain, probably inclement weather. And then it was January, so it was cold up here, even if it wasn't down there. And I remember the the drive as being particularly arduous and tedious and or nerve-wracking and or, my God, I want to get out of this fucking vehicle. And about the last hundred miles, Brian, I'd said, you know, you know what I'm saying to myself, I'm saying, maybe I just, I could take the Xanax. I could, you know, they, I'm trying to justify, figure out how this might logistically work and I wouldn't dread it or hate myself or whatever. Get on a plane and do this every so often. I'm just getting too old for this shit, right? And I'd almost convinced myself that when I pulled into the garage here at Castle Cornet, and I opened the door to come in the house, and there's Harley Quinn wasn't there because she ain't that old, but there's Stace to greet me. And guess what's on the big screen TV in the TV room? Was it a plane crash? Captain Sully's plane floating down the fucking river. It was the end of 15 years ago, this past week. Yeah. And that is the first thing I saw, and I said, you know what? Never mind. There's a plane floating. It was a sign. If there is some kind of God, higher power, supreme being, alien that inseminated the planet Earth with its cast-offs, whatever, that was a sign from them to me. Don't think that anymore. Listen to what you're saying. But he saved everyone. No, that, that's a, it's the miracle on the Hudson. It saved landed. everyone. He, Sully got everyone out. He did everything professionally. That's he the pilot you want. The, he landed a fucking river. Yes, that's the pilot I want if I have to have a pilot, but better off, I don't have a pilot. And everybody, if I had been on that plane, everybody on that plane would have perished because they would have all <laughs> been smothered in shit. 
Can I read you something? Because it's so funny you bring this up. Someone just posted this the other day into the Cult of Cornet Facebook group. I'll give him credit. Nicholas Eduardo Lopez Torres. If, that is if, indeed, that, if those are indeed <laughs> all his real names. He posted this from the Gary Hart book. Uh, the actual title was My Life in Wrestling with a Little Help from My Friends by Gary Hart and Philip Varial. Notoriously out of print. Notoriously out of print. Notoriously inaccurate in some cases, or at least Gary Hart's worldview in some cases. But here's what it says. I always had a great deal of respect for Jim Cornette. Because even though he had a tremendous fear of flying... Oh, I remember this. He would get on an airplane to go to every show. I saw that kid fight his fear on a daily basis, and he white-knuckled every flight. One time, we were coming back from El Paso, <laughs> and we hit some real turbulence. It was terrible. We were bouncing around the sky, and Jim was literally freaking out. It got so bad that the plane landed in Lubbock so the pilots could check and see if anything had broken. <sighs> it was that bad. Jim, Bobby Eaton, and Dennis Condry got off the plane, rented a car, and drove to Dallas. Jim was scared to death of flying, and I always felt he was the bravest guy I ever knew. And and I I remember because obviously I have a copy of Gary's book and I appreciated that I remember reading that but I I got to tell the the straight thing is he has two stories conflated. Can I can I give details? Yeah, please. Because the the flight that he's talking about with the turbulence was from El Paso, and it was one of those Southwest flights and it was the they had a flight in. Uh, in Southwest Airlines in those days would have a flight from every one of the major Texas cities at like 11 o'clock or 1115. So whoever had done business or whatever that day could get on it and, and be back in Dallas. They, I mean, they didn't just go everywhere, but you could go to Dallas, right? So what we were El Paso, 600 miles from Dallas, Texas, even though it's in the same state. Or Lubbock and Amarillo were 300 and 350 miles, respectively. So Southwest at the time, like $39 or whatever, one way. And you could just walk up and buy the ticket. Is the, you know, cattle car of the air. So everybody would try to get the last flight to get back to Dallas after the show. And that's it's 11 o'clock, and so it's pitch fucking black outside. And we get up, and it's a Gary Hart, one-man gang, me. Bobby Eden, Dennis Condry, the Fantastics, all the world-class guys are, we're not sitting because there's obviously regular people, although not too many of them on this flight. So we're not like sitting with the baby faces or whatever. We're still in the groups, but we're all on this fucking plane. Everybody's been on the show. And this thing starts bouncing up and down and you can see the, the wings and you can hear them creaking and you can see them moving in greater fucking space and frequency than the actual cabin of the plane is moving. Those wings are fucking flapping, right? And sideways. And I think Tommy Rogers just, it, he was sitting with a bunch of girls in the back and he pulls out a joint and just starts smoking a joint. And everybody's holding on to shit. And I'd always... I laughed with Gary, and later on when we would be on Crockett's plane uh, during a period of time he was there, whatever the case, 
I always joke that I liked flying with flair because how many people, you know, been in two plane crashes, right? So right. I've got better odds. Gary had been in two plane crashes. Two. He had been in the, in the famous one and he had also gone down in a private plane, um, you know, years before that. So I was especially happy with him because I don't have many people, you know, been in three plane crashes, right? But anyway, um, so that's the, but the, the renting the car was a different time. It was from Amarillo. We didn't land in Lubbock. It was Amarillo to Dallas where we were trying to get out after a Lubbock Amarillo double shot. And the last we were there at the airport because only 10 minutes from the building. But this thunderstorm came up and the fucking lightning and all this bullshit. And I'm looking at it as they're about to. I say, you know what, folks, folks, I'll see y'all in Fort Worth at the Will Rogers Coliseum tomorrow. And Bobby and Dennis got on the plane, but I went across the street to the La Quinta and got a room and rented the fucking car the next morning. And drove back to, it took 300 miles from, you know, West Texas to Dallas, as flat as the road was, took about four, four and a half hours. And they said it was a miserable flight with miserable fucking weather. And it fucking poured rain on them when they got back at the airport trying to get in their car and the whole nine yards. And I just had a pizza at the fucking La Quinta and cruised on down the road the next day in a relaxed state. But I would do things like that. We, we were, if Crockett had run Cincinnati and we were on a loop that we had flown to the start of and the next day was Charleston, West Virginia, right? And we get the plane tickets and we've got to fly from Cincinnati to Louisville, which is 90 fucking miles, and then change planes and go to Charleston. And I'm like, well, what... All right, we're already on it, right? And the flight to Charleston be another 45 minutes, but two takeoffs and two landings. That perturbed me somewhat. So we take off from Cincinnati. And I always keep a watch and an eye on these things. I know when we're supposed to be going up, when we're supposed to be going down, what the fucking noise is supposed to be going on. Is anything unusual? Do the flight attendants look nervous? These type of signals that you look for. And I see that we should have been descending about five minutes ago for this short of a flight. And the, the pilot comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, there's weather in the, in the Louisville area. And uh, so we're going to circle for, and they circled for, I don't know, but it seemed like hours for me because now I'm, my asshole's so fucking tight. If you shoved a lump of coal up, you'd get a 10 carat diamond out. And they circled for 20 days. So we're going to go ahead and land now. And as they go ahead to land, they fly in these goddamn dark clouds. And suddenly, even though it's the middle of the day, everything, you can't see a goddamn thing. It's pitch black outside. And right as you think, well, I, we should see something eventually, a fucking clap of thunder and a bolt of lightning came right down next to the fucking wing. And at the same time, they gunned the engine and started going back up again. Oh, motherfucker. 
and they go back up, and now they're out of the clouds again, and then the pilot comes on and says, sorry, folks, we decided to take another run at that one. What? And they go back around, <laughs> and they fucking land again. They, they're going into land again. And the same thing, only slightly lighter. They have found a different place in the clouds, and they go through the dark clouds, and I've literally sucked. My asshole has engorged every bit of the fucking fabric of the seat cushion underneath me into my fucking cavernous rectum. And I'm fucking putting the brakes on with both feet, and I've got a hold of both of the armrests. And they finally land here in my hometown, Louisville, Kentucky. Where as soon as we start taxiing, the guys are like, well, shit, we've got like 30 minutes to make this connection. I said, fuck you on your connection. I'm going to bid you people adieu, and I'll see you in Charleston. And they're, what? It's 240 miles from this airport to Charleston, West Virginia. I'm going to get right off this fucking plane and rent a car, and I bet I beat you there at this rate. And I did, and I did. I beat some of them to the building in Charleston. But I wasn't going to go back up in the air that day. Fuck that. That was as a lightning bolt was like, fuck you, get your ass on the ground. You see that story the other day about the door? Was it, was it a door? I guess it was it a door. Was a just door, window, the... side of the fucking wall, whatever. Yes. Yes. I was like, how did no one get sucked out of the plane? That's always my biggest fear. Something like that happened. Everyone goes flying out of the plane. Well, no, I know why. Do you know why? I mean, they stabilized the pressure, right? No, I'll tell you why. They were at 16,000 feet. If they'd have been cruising at an altitude of 35,000 feet, some people would have been plummeting downward at a, at a fucking velocity of 120 miles an hour. And the fucking thing just falls off. It just falls off. They just fell off. Where, where'd Maud go? She was sitting here a minute ago. Well, the hell, the seat's gone too. Maud? Maud? Well, we'll see if uh, we can maybe do our vacation across the country via train. Yeah, Amtramic. That's what we need to get on the Amtramic and do it. We'll do it like the old barnstorming days, the ballyhoo days. We'll do it from the back of the train car. All the bit, and, and we'll send telegrams to the next fucking town with coded words for who the finish is. You know how upset you would be if you died in a plane crash because of TNA? Oh, and, and that's the thing, of all things. Yeah, well, what was I thinking? See, some people, you know, once in a while you go mad. You, you're just thinking crazy things, and then you get a sign. All right, well, speaking of a sign, Jim, uh, we got to get some uh, talk here. Well, we and by the way, can I then? real quick, I just want to thank a couple of people. I'd like to thank the Academy. Um, I'd No, I want to thank Theo from Lachine, Quebec, who sent me the entire... Seinfeld series on DVD for Christmas, but it just arrived because he's from fucking wherever Quebec and it was international mail. And if this thing is, it's, it's thicker than goddamn Gorilla Monsoon's wallet. I mean, it's got like 20 something disc. It's 274 hours or whatever. It's amazing. And Mike from British Columbia over on the other side of the Canadian frontier 
sent me the entire series of Sanford and Son on DVD. I don't did I don't know if we talked we I know we've talked about Seinfeld. Have we mentioned Sanford and Son? But he sent it and I like it. But maybe it's just something that he he felt compelled to do. But thank you guys. You've referenced it a number of times on the show. Have, have we on the show? Well, I don't I I don't keep track a notebook of all of the references that we make. I tend to blurt these things out and forget about them momentarily afterwards. Yes, you do and <laughs> That's uh, how things work here. But Jim, I know we have to talk about Raw. But before we do that, before we talk about anything else here on the show, I want to play you some audio because something happened and a lot of the listeners, the wrestling world was talking about this, but a lot of the listeners specifically. On the show Sunrise, it appears, I'm not familiar with it, I'm not from Australia, on Australian TV, a morning show. Apparently a morning show. There's a clue in the title. L.A. Night. And Grayson Waller, technically a babyface and a heel, so that does break kayfabe a little bit there, are on the couch. They're talking to the man and woman who hosts the show. <laughs> they're on the couch. They're, you didn't need to phrase it like that. Like they're, they're sitting on the couch. in some kind of passionate embrace. That wasn't the way I was trying to make people think <laughs> about it. L.A. Knight and Grayson Waller are clothed and sitting on a couch talking to the hosts of the morning show Sunrise in Australia. And an incident happened that reminded some people of Vader, some people of David Schultz, different things. Again, not to that extent, but something you don't really see too often in 2024. I'm going to play some audio, and I want to get your thoughts about this on I've, the other I've side. seen this clip also, but I'm more than willing to listen again. One of your signature finishing moves. Can I give you yeah, one? Yeah, can you? Like, <laughs> not me. Not me. I'll just be over here. But can you show us? One of the Look, oh, I think it like actually just showed on the screen there. If yeah. I do that, it's not going to be a well, good day for anybody. Maybe someone in, a, like our, our floor manager, maybe he seems <laughs> well, available. Actually, our floor manager's leaving this week. Yeah, and uh, he's sort of yeah. I don't know. If... That's uh, that's not for me. You want to go ahead and no. take this one? Look, I'll, I'll take off one. You. Uh oh. I don't think you understand. Let me stop this for a second. So now this floor manager who's wearing shorts and just a t-shirt comes out there, and he's kind of bobbing and weaving a little bit. He's yeah, he's. Into this. He's getting, he's getting into the act. Everybody's got to get into the act. He's doing the bobbing and weaving, and he's like, oh, I'll take it, mate. I'll take it. You know, they got the accents over there, like the Crocodile Dundee. Um, and <laughs> L.A. Knight was, you know, he was leaning back on the couch, and he's the one who said, hey, if I give anybody my, you know, my move, it won't be a good night for anybody, et cetera, like you would. And... Of course, in the booth, you heard they play the crickets chirping because they didn't expect anybody to answer the challenge. But this guy, the floor director or whatever, apparently he got, you know, he got froggy. So he jumped and he's going to play into this. I don't believe he was seriously challenged. Like, give me your best fucking hold. I think he was thinking it was going to all be fun and games. And of all people, there's Grayson Waller. And he stands up and cuts the promo on the guy. And and that's that's the next part coming up here, I believe, from what I remember. But let's go back to the go back to the tape. Let's go back to sunrise. 
Ben, like, if I come over there right now, we're going to have the police here because I'm not going to give you some fake punch. Like, I'm going to punch you straight in the jaw. The actual the disrespect that you have even talking to me. No, you want to talk to me like this is this, this ain't real? I got no, don't act all tough, lad. Don't act all tough. I'm going to get in the middle of this. You, you keep back. You keep back. Get him out of there. You get out of there. You get out of there. I'm so sorry. You're not too mad. You guys come here trying to disrespect us. Are you kidding me? I'm not disrespecting you. You're all right, No, we love you. Hey, you take that trash talk and you get out of here. Hey, you get out of here. You take that trash talk. You get out. I won't have these guests disrespected like that, Mitch. You get out. Matt, can you wrap this up? Hold your pants tight. Okay, thank you very much, gentlemen, for coming in. So. Well, it stops there, and we'll see how much of that we can play on YouTube due to music rights, but we'll see what happens. But Grayson oh, Waller, not appreciating. LA Knight's sitting back. Grayson Waller clearly not appreciating being mocked because he's a wrestler, and I think a lot of guys today would just go with it. Well, but and, and that's why I got such a kick out of this, because it's like he had the... Yeah, there's yeses and nos. There's shades of gray in this. He had some of the right material, but it comes from that fucking voice that sounds like the lost chipmunk cousin, right? So you go, mate, I'll drop you. I'll drop you with a fucking punch, mate. And also, he went from zero to 60 really quickly. And I think it's good. Is Grayson Waller Australian? Was this his native... Native land, native tongue. We have failed so many times with accents. He's either from Australia or New Zealand. Okay, One or the he's, other. He's probably, you know, he's got a lot of, it's his, his homeland, home area, home region of the world. He's got, you know, people watching. He thinks he has to stand up. But when Vader snatched the guy in, in uh, the Middle East, he had said, well, this is all fake. You know, he's a, you know, rough stentorian guy. This is all fake, you see. And when Schultz slapped Stossel, we all know that one. This is just some fucking jack-off, probably with a hangover that works there, wearing a headset. You know, who's on headset? Bill. Bill's on headset. And he's just trying to play along. And in the old days of the territories and TV, I can tell you probably how a heel may have handled the situation without escalating it to, motherfucker, I'll knock you out. It's just to do the old Stuart thing. Come here. I can't, we can't give our finishing move on the floor in the studio here, but come here, let me just show you a hold and put him in the fucking double wrist lock or the front face lock where you can put a little bit of pressure on and make a motherfucker squeal like a baby. Or say, here, just and put the sugar hold on him. Here, and pop his fucking ears, and his face will turn red. And you you sucker him in that way. Here, just this little innocuous, oh, my God, please let go of me. That's what Gene Anderson may have done. You, I understand he was trying to fight for the honor of the business, but it hadn't really been impugned that badly yet. The hosts were obviously joking, and the... Uh, the fact that you know the the crickets chirped on the challenge they the production booth was trying to go along with the wrestlers and then this guy just goes into business for himself but it it was a nice effort on Waller's part but my god of all the people on the roster i would have bet money on the fucking pa the production assistant to kick the shit out of waller oh come on Okay, did you because of his at voice? Him? Just because of his voice? No, just because I looked at both of them on camera. I said, I believe the guy on the right can take him. But 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 I mean that's the thing you can't 
the guys that did this a lot with local media and shit that no, uh, most people alive today have never seen or never heard of because it didn't exist except live or whatever. They wouldn't ever give a guy a move unless there's a few clips like that clip of giant haystacks body slamming that poor 150 pound fucking oh, that's the best. TV presenter in England in the 60s where he just really picked him up and flung him down hard on the floor. That wasn't the 60s. That was either late 70s or early 80s. It was 70s, whatever. But you know what I'm saying. That that clip exists. But a lot of times when guys would be involved with press or a news reporter, whatever, you know, you'd do the thing. Look, I'm a professional fighter. I'm not getting paid to fight you. I'm not going to give you a wrestling move here, you know, in, in, on the studio floor. But let me just show you this little hold. And, oh, and the knuckle, you know, or just two fingers. They would have their things where they just, let the guy know what they might could do if they wanted to, and it'd be enough where that they would back that shit off. But I don't know if Grayson Waller knows a wrist lock from a wrist watch, as they used to say. But he was, you know, does it? And then also is that look, give my best wrestling move. Or give you my best wrestling move. Well, fuck if I come over there, mate, I'm gonna have to punch you and knock you out. Is that your best wrestling move? Then why aren't you a boxer? What the it didn't it was just he instantaneously leaped in it. Maybe he was trying to get a little fucking notoriety there. See, a lot of the finishing maneuvers, at least in the days when they really became a thing, everyone needed a finisher. A lot of them were things you could apply in a real fight, or at least if you had to do something on a show like that, you know, even something like a front face lock, like yeah. the Richard Belzer knocks him out. Some of these guys, like, if someone said, hey, Cody, do your finishing maneuver on me, could he do a crossroads on, like, a set like that? It's such a... Yeah, no, or the, give me a Cody cutter. Okay, what am I jumping <laughs> off of? The fucking lamp? What? See, it's just, it's preposterous anymore. It used to be a thing. It would be a body slam or, you know, right. whatever. Figure but now four. it's like, yeah, figure four. And by the way, you can fuck somebody up with a figure four if you want to very easily. The stuff that's been around for a while, as we've mentioned many times, was rooted in something that was legitimate, and it, you just got to know how, how to either make it legitimate or not make it legitimate, depending on whether you want to hurt somebody or not. But, that, you know, the a double wrist lock will fuck a mother up, mother, fuck a mother up, motherfucker, fucking mother, mother, Hubbard. Old Mother Hubbard sat in the cupboard thinking of how she could fuck motherfuckers up with a double wrist lock. Well, once again, you're a little more down on him than everyone else appears to be. WWE seems to be high on him. He's growing on me a little bit as like the shit heel, he shit heel, heel. I guess it's, it's, it's just like just a real kind of a real shit heel, a real shit heel, like him in theory <laughs> as like these two annoying kind of shit heels just god damn it but there's a difference between annoy and the annoying teenage delinquent that lives down the street in a subdivision see i don't see him that way i see him as the annoying guy at the fucking tiki bar like in the keys i, I never been to the keys well montego jamaica Ooh, i wanna take you to bermuda bahama come on brian last time Ladies and gentlemen, where I was going... I'll just sit over here in my sandbox. Yeah, please do. Where I was going before we went to Kokomo. <laughs> and now I'm trying to just keep it together. This show's falling I've apart. There. I've been to Kokomo, Indiana. What a fucking shithole that is. We'll get there fast. It's, it's a little better than slow. Gary. 
What I was going to say is the key to success yes. in WWE traditionally is making sure you look the way Vince wants you to look. Yes. And a lot of the time, like a Scott Hall became famous, well, in the AWA. AWA famous with a big mustache. But by the time he got to Vince, he had gone through a few things. He had been a diamond stud. He had his greatest success, no mustache. Just got rid of it. Just got rid of it. There are many, many other examples of Vince saying, get that shit off your face. But where do you go to take care of that? What do you do if you're on the road and you need a good razor or you're at home? Or you're at home? You could be at home. Your hair grows at home too, Brian. Well, the point- Are you going for the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest transition segue into a particular subject? That's right. And we're talking- The point- The point- on top of my head, is pointing towards our new friends, Harry's. That even sounds verbally unwieldy. Our new friends, Harry's. Our new friends, what? Harry's. How, how, how acquainted have you gotten with our new friends, Harry's? Well, ladies and gentlemen, there are certain things we can't talk about here on the air. But I think you you pluralized something that you should have been in there as a p- possessive Harry's. preposition in there. But our new friends at Harry's at may Harry's. have been clearer, or, or our new friend Harry's as a collective group reference. But when you're talking about <laughs> our Harry's, the Harry's, the Harry's of the world unite. Look at here. Here's the goddamn deal. A lot of times, because we have a, a male audience out there, and, and many of our, our female listeners also grow hair in various places, and we've, we've taught you how you can smooth out the nether regions and make things more pleasant for your significant other, but that, uh, now we're going to talk about your people's faces out there. The faces, the things that you apparently don't look at in the mirror sometimes, because have you noticed that there are a lot of people you will see walking down the street these days, Brian, uh, they're, uh, they got their mush all fucking hairy and stubbled and unkempt. It looks like their face was put together like a ransom note. And that's what you're presenting to the whole world, not just people that are rooting and scooting with you and doing the tooting on your fluting, but the people that are just wa- idly walking down the street past you, minding their own business, and they got to look at that fucking face. So you don't need to look like a caveman or like somebody that's been in some kind of medically induced coma for years. You got to keep your face reasonably coherent, consistent, and groomed appropriately. Wouldn't you say, Brian, that that is a a reasonable thing to ask to be able to go out in public, that you not frighten the passers-by? That's right. A coherent face is a good idea. Yes, don't scare people. So folks, now we're not talking about down south at the plantation, we're talking about up north on your chinny chin chin. Our friends at Harry's Shaving have got a remarkable deal for you where it'll cost you almost nothing to be presentable and not be asked to not look at other people's children. And look at this. They, it comes in a bag. Can you, can you hear this bag? It is a heavy-duty polyethylene bag with everything you need for a smooth shave, and it's got a cute little caricature on it of a guy shaving with shaving cream on, and he's holding Harry's razor, which Harry's razor, unlike Occam's, will actually do you some good. Because this bad boy, I'm holding it in my hand, 
It's got an orange handle, so this thing is like, it's like you can find it like you can find a hunter in the woods during deer season, so nobody gets shot. The orange handle, if you drop it in the bathtub in the sud, you'll be able to pick it out. And it's got a nice, it, it's a pivoting head. It, it goes to and fro, to and fro. You can actually, if you use your index finger while you're holding this ergonomically designed handle in your hand, you can kind of make it look like it's winking at you. It's to and fro, to and fro. And it has one, two. There. Well, there, there's a cover on this because it comes with a travel cover. So you can't cut yourself inadvertently or accidentally. And it, I'm trying to count now. I believe this is five blades. Is it four or five? It's got the cover on it, and I can't. Well, I, I can't believe it's five. Out, can't figure out how to get the cover. Oh my God! I've cut myself. No, you have not. Oh. Will you stop that? You have not cut no, it's, yourself. It's, it's a I'm safety. Squeezing, I'm squeezing it now. Just see if it's bad. Oh, it's spurting. Oh, it's spurting. It's on my on my finger. Is there an artery in your finger? No. It, actually, I took the cover off easily. And there's one, two, three. See, the blades are so small. I need glasses. There's five blades and a lubricating strip. But once again, this is not for the nether region, so don't try to lubricate anything down there with the strip, but this is for your face, and it will, it'll make you slicker and come on a gold tooth. I opened this thing up, and I was like, well, I've got to see this in action, and it did not disappoint. So we, I can't get the fucking lid back on it now, though. We're going to work on that. It also comes with Harry's Foaming Shave Gel, which lathers richly to soothe and cushion, and it's got aloe in it. Aloe Leilani, who used to wrestle Allo. in the South Seas. Aloe. So you're, you're you rub a small amount of this in circular motions until you're foamy. And then the, the, the razor just takes it right off. You got the box and a card that says, hello from Harry's. But wait, there's more. We offer a wide range of everyday grooming essentials from shower to skin care. Every product thoughtfully designed and crafted. And you can sign up for the shave plan and they keep you stocked up with all of the Five blade, good lord! You could probably you could do your lawn with this thing, though. It it looks like a sturdy piece of business. And but don't shave your crotch with this, because then you're bringing it back up to your. Ladies face and gentlemen, and we're talking about kind of razors fun. for your face. We're specifically face, talking yeah. about razors for your face. Well, you know, some of these degenerates out there, they they take any product that's designed for another part of the body, and they instantly go to the to the genitalia. You just did that. You're the degenerate that just did that. I'm trying to talk people out of it. But anyway, folks, again, it's Harry's. And where is Harry's? Well, Harry's is at harrys.com. And right now, if you go to harrys.com slash JCE, that's where you save the big money because you can get the razor that I just talked about with the weighted and ergonomically designed handle. You get the foaming shave gel and the travel cover, $3. $3. The, the, this five-blade uh, implement cartridge at the top here, this is one of those things that they have FBI agents standing ready to take you down if you walk out of, of Kroger without paying for one of these things. And bells and whistles go off. These things are so highly prized and such in demand that they chain them to the shelves over at the local grocery store, but you're getting this 
not only the razor that it goes on, but also the cartridge and the shaving gel and the travel cover, $3. Harrys.com slash JCE. And you talk about things that make your money's worth, German-engineered blades. And we know those Germans are some sadistic son of a bitches. They make blades sharper than a serpent's tooth. And you can sign up for the delivery options, the scheduled refills as low as a couple of dollars, and all the other things that they provide here to make your face look somewhat palatable to the general public. Go to harrys.com slash JCE. It's a $13 normal price on this trial set. You get for $3, for heaven's sake. It's a great deal. This is good stuff. And it, it it's living, breathing proof of the old adage that if I had a face like that, I'd take a donkey and shave its ass and teach it to walk backwards. It has nothing to do with that. It's perfect for you. You shave all the time. No one gets to see you with a beard or a mustache. Well. Except for that one brief period in 91. Yes. Only it was a rib on me. But it's because I, I need to keep myself in... in in perfect uh, working order in case I need to be called upon to speak to the general public. But you know what? This, this razor is so good, Tony Atlas had to give up using this razor because when he shaved with it, his face was so soft and slick that when women would try to walk on it, they'd slip off and hurt themselves. He got sued three times. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I know about Harry's. And uh, whether you're Harry or you just don't want to be Harry, you can go to Harry's. One more time, what's that promo code? It's harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S, harrys.com slash J-C-E to, to save these big bucks. And uh, I wonder, did Harry invent this? Is this the Harry that used to be with Harry and David? They did fruit, now he's gone into shaving? We have not yet been able to determine if there is an actual Harry or if Harry is supposed to be because it's a play on the word Harry. Apocryphal. We don't know. So we, uh, we are determined to find out in this ongoing series, The Search for Harry's. The Search for Harry. Right here. Right here. Well, we got to go on from here. We did the promo code, so... Uh, yes, we did. I think we did. We did. I got to get all this stuff back in the box now. Well, let's uh, get back in the box. And speaking of in the box, an interesting box this week for Monday Night Raw because of the weather affecting everyone, a smaller crowd than I guess they've become accustomed to lately in Little Rock, I believe, for Monday Night Raw. Yes, and it was Little Rock that the WWF at the time crew was trapped in when I had my big sellout at Christmas Chaos in December of 2000, and nobody they couldn't even charter a plane to get out of there. And it wasn't great weather here, but, you know, we had a lot of tickets sold. So anyway, we told that story before. But Little Rock is not a place you want to be in bad winter weather, apparently. Um, and I, I got to be honest with you. If they had to rewrite this one, I think I liked it better that way. This, I mean, Again, you wanted to hear the people that were talking to each other and to you talk to each other and to you. It wasn't like there was, you know, it was Starcade 86 in terms of the wrestling, but, you know, the people that that mattered were pretty much there, were they not? 
I mean, no punk, but that works right now, not having him on every show and blowing that out. Because well, sh- yeah. there are certain shows you don't need him on. I don't think he was needed on this episode. Well, was he supposed to be there? Not that I recall. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not like that, yo, gosh, punk couldn't make it. It was not, you know, they've got so many stars now and so many soliloquies to soliloquize. And they all get to the town early. Boy, I'll tell you, it, that was one thing Vince was a stickler on. If uh, he would sit and watch, or he wouldn't sit and watch, but he'd have the agent sit and watch. That was a strongbow for a long time, just at the back door. I like to sit and watch. And, no, we got quit now. Sign this. Down, down boy, down boy. But Strongbow would have a list if they if if you were supposed to be there at two o'clock and you weren't checked off and you got fifteen minutes and then they find you in that hole. Neil, I don't know now what time that the guys are supposed to get the the production has gotten so much bigger and more complex. If we had to get there at two o'clock for talent and noon for writers and production staff back in the day, what do they do now? Five six o'clock in the morning. Fucking go over this thing. It's like putting on a Broadway play. Anyway, no, it isn't. Um, it stays in business. Well, it, it true. It 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 never closes. But they opened the show, and this is raw for what January fifteenth, I believe it was. On oh, my God, it's been so long now. I've slept since then. But uh, they were actually in North Little Rock because here's the, North Little Rock has has kind of taken over because that's the part of Little Rock that most people want to live in. We used to go to the regular Little Rock, and that wasn't a lot of things to write home about. Was Little Rock the furthest east town for Mid-South Wrestling? Uh, no. No, furthest east would have been Greenwood and Greenville, Mississippi. But it was the furthest... Technically, we didn't go any really any farther north. I don't know. Greenwood and Greenville on a fucking line may be a little bit farther north, but it might not be. But that was as far north as Mid-South went. Unless Tulsa up there, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I kind of uh, and, and if you went any farther northeast outside of Little Rock, you were impinging on Memphis. But anyway, nevertheless, um, here comes Cody. And he gets the chance and the woes and the whole nine yards. And again, I, I hear this. I don't know whether I'm just crazy or whether anybody else can hear it, but his cadence, the attitude, it's dusty without the jive and bigger words. But the way that he's talking, he's, I can see it. I can hear it. And he prefaces it was a short little deal after what do y'all want to talk about, which I think he could retire at this point. He's the hottest baby face maybe in the business now, depending on what side of the fence CM Punk is on. But they don't they don't just come in their pants to hear that line, do they? No. But I guess he you know, old habits die hard. But anyway, he prefaced the, this whole thing with the, you know, the thing he came back for to finish the story. The Royal Rumble's around the corner, and then boom, Drew McIntyre music, and out he comes. And not only is he actually interesting now, instead of what was it two years ago, he's waving that fucking sword, cutting the goddamn fake ropes in, in with <laughs> with sound effects, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
But when he comes out now, he's got different facials. He's got a more heelish demeanor, but he's not drawn back and threatening to slap people or cussing them out. But he's he's changing his attitude visually as well as, uh, you know, the material and what he's doing. And he gets some booze, but he's still, you know, he's in the middle there. But this is a, a not just a slow, gradual change, but also as he's changing the promos and how he wrestles, he's changing his, as Howard Finkel used to say, his demeanor also. Instead of being like the indie guys, they go out there, okay, now I can cheat and yell at the fans and change nothing else. <laughs> he's changing a lot of simple things that people can get and pick up on subliminally. And he's he's talking better than ever. Is it you believe him now with this shit, don't you? I do. I think it's the best stuff he's done. It's the stuff I've enjoyed the most that he's done in WWE just the last few weeks. The problem is at a certain point it can't just be one by one he goes to everyone he has a grievance with, very intensely states it. <laughs> he thinks something could happen, and then the other person just disrespects him and leaves. Well, I'm not saying it's got not got its loopholes, but when he was doing the promo, he brought up that he and Cody, we, we grew up in WWE together. They were once the WWE Tag Team Champions, the dashing ones. And he said, yeah, Google it. And uh, mercifully, a lot of that stuff's been forgotten, but when it fits like this, when he's telling, they're telling the story, they both left to go make themselves bigger commodities and came back because the WWE called them. And that's the, the point there. So this is history. That's not only on the WWE website, publicly acknowledged. If you want to look for it, it's not just insider website shit. It means something for this story and the way these people fit together. And then he said the last match that he had before he, came back to the WWE, was with Cody. Now, that may be the last match they want to talk about, but I, you might know this. This When did we start doing this fiasco together? Probably the... the, the before I, I did the Hall of Fame in 2017, right? Right. We yes. started doing this together. I started podcasting November 2015. I started doing your show, I think, February 2016. So, but point being... Then you remember this, probably you've you know put the memory, uh, buried it with the other PTSD things in your life. But I, when I did that Hall of Fame deal, I was already going to be in Orlando and the people at What Culture Pro Wrestling, the big promotion over in England that was spending all that money, had brought me and Jim Ross over to do uh, internet pay-per-view commentary in 2016. <laughs> My my friend, the young Kenny McIntosh and James Dixon, a few of those guys were working for them at the time. And uh, they did a, a couple of good shows with major names. Uh, Cody was over there, and I believe Angle was there, I think, and blah, blah, blah. So they were going to do a house show in Orlando, WrestleMania weekend, and asked me if I would do commentary on the tape. Long story short, I did it. it. Turned out I think they ran the show because a lot of their 
you know, I don't want to say local guys, but a lot of their homegrown talent and themselves wanted to just say they ran a show in America because it's like this fucking rec center gym set up <laughs> for maybe 400 people and there's 200 there. And they didn't have any of the names they'd had on these big shows that they did in, in England. It was just, it, I think it was a, it's one of those reasons why the company is not currently promoting professional wrestling these days. But the, the one guy that was on the show that was worth it because I saw this local UK wrestler and that local UK wrestler and some guys from Florida, you know, and, and, you know, it was, it was fairly sad. And then all of a sudden, ding, ding, I'm doing an announcing and out comes Drew McIntyre and he's fucking six foot, whatever he's fucking built and he's goddamn it. He can work. And that, and I, oh, God damn it. I can't remember who he worked with, but I think that guy's gone on to be in, UK NXT and maybe even regular NXT, but nevertheless, I was like, why the fuck is this guy here? We're at WrestleMania and he's working this fucking rec center. And that was the day he made his return debut, if I'm not mistaken. He went right across fucking town and debuted that night. So that would be the last match and it wasn't with Cody, but nevertheless, I'm picking at nits. Anyway, so back to the interview, too late. Cody said that Drew McIntyre, he had told him all along he was a future champion, and he has been a couple of times. And, you know, so Drew returned to favor. He said, Cody, keep doing what you're doing, and you're going to be the first member of your family to hold that belt over your head or whatever. You will finish your story, but not before I finish mine. So here we go. Now we got more conflict with this Royal Rumble. There, This is like an Agatha Christie novel at this point. And Cody said, we both declared for the Rumble. And you could win, or Jey Uso could win, or CM Punk could win. But I don't plan on letting that happen. And we've both won the Royal Rumble, so you can't count anybody. This is great. And Drew gives him the advice, be himself. Don't try to smile all the time and use the big words and be the real Cody. And Cody fires up and says, I'm not an act. I'm grateful for my second chance and all you do is complain about yours. And again, it's adults kind of halfway arguing with each other about something that you might believe if you were so predisposed. And anyway, um, Drew has to go through some more gripes again with Priest because that's more of his making excuses. Other people cost him things. But baby, baby, basically, baby, but baby, I'm well, telling baby, you what, baby. Now you do sound like Dusty. <laughs> <laughs> but baby, Cody then said, but basically, uh, Drew goes, uh, Drew says that mania, the story belongs to Drew McIntyre and Cody says, well, if, if it's going to be excuses and grievances. And, and finally he says, and by the way, our last match, who won Cody did and he boom. And uh, again, you've got Cody, you've got Drew, you've got punk, you've got Orton, you've got Uso. You've got a variety of people at the top of this card now, and they've all 
even though some are firmly baby faces, they've been set up to where they've got a legitimate reason to want to be territorial about this thing. I think they're doing a great job. Pat Patterson would love this. What do you think? I really like this. I thought this was a good opening. Another great segment with Drew McIntyre. The Punk one was really good. Uh, this one, I guess the Seth Rollins one, too. Cody's I better. For, I forgot about Franklin. You got Franklin in there, too. Cody is better when he interacts with someone and there's some tension between them than when he's just giving speeches on his own. He does that yes. well. But By the way, the, you know, so what do you guys want to talk about? He knows it's dead now and he can't drop it. He's stuck. Because even now when he delivers it, he's like, so what do you want to talk about? Like, he can't yeah. deliver it the way he used to because it'll just be silence. Now he's trying to at least pick people up in tone. I don't know what. But Drew's been good. You're waiting for the big heel turn, the big heel moment of him just being the big heel. The big now, heel. Now, Drew, um, not Drew, but uh, Damian Priest is still after him, obviously, on this show. And that's the biggest heel group on the program. Well, but at the same point, how long will Priest be in that group? Because there's tension there, and one would think that he wouldn't be the only heel and the rest of them would be the babyface if they, if there's a split. So it, it, they've, they've somehow managed to create all this tension among people where there's a few things with the Judgment Day I'm not a fan of, interacting with some of the silliness and whatever. But... You know, sooner or later, Priest will be the one that they will get grumpy with or something will happen. You can tell they're doing this for a reason. But until then, you know, it's to their own benefit to be together and they're self-serving heels. So there's a lot of things they can do and a lot of moving parts and they've managed to make it all kind of halfway make sense. And there's so many intriguing things in the Rumble. That like you could start thinking about who's going to make you groan when they come out. Like, oh no, it's this person, not one of these <laughs> other people that are all in some kind of weird conflict that's never explained. But there's a lot of intrigue now. And Drew has multiple interactions with people. Punk promised to eliminate him last, last week. Yeah. This is the best. I, I say it's the best Drew McIntyre has been in WWE to me. It's just been weeks. And he was the former world champion who beat, I think, Brock Lesnar. Yeah. But he's interesting right now. But And he's been able to bring that in, too, because, yeah, I was the champion with no people. So he wants to, to do it right this time. And, you you know, you have to agree with that. And, and then right now, there's no reason to rush the heel turn because if you, you kind of know that you can't really trust him, but you don't really know for sure what it is. So, fuck, just don't let it get old, but it's not old yet. You just got to hope they don't do something like classic WWE and stupid. Like all of a sudden in the midst of this, they're like, you know what? Just go feud with Sheamus for six months. <laughs> but you know what? This ain't classic WWE anymore. And I'm not talking about the classic WWE of the 80s and 90s. I'm talking about classic WWE of the past 10 years. And, you know, Vince has been relieved. And Triple H is is obviously trying to make at least some of this shit, not all of it, unfortunately, to Zawa, but most of it or some of it more adult and more like wrestling and the personalities instead of just, you know, Vince's weird bodily function fetish gimmicks and things. Uh. 
A weird bodily function. Shit, was that your bodily function noise? I just relieved myself, and I'm going to sign myself to an NDA. You know, I guarantee you, if if somebody had told him the idea that that woman had when she drove cross-country to fuck up her astronaut boyfriend is to make time she wore the adult diapers so she wouldn't have stop and piss. If somebody had told Vince that on pay-per-views, I bet he would have had the announcers. What is this? What is this story? You didn't hear that? How about the astronaut? Several years ago, there was a goddamn, (laughs) no, I'm, I'm, I'm not swerving you. There was an astronaut and there were two of them. The woman was an astronaut in training and they had been in the space program and they had an affair and I can't remember the detail. It didn't end well or whatever. And she w- went to kill him and drove from some ridiculous distance like Colorado or Texas nonstop to Florida so that she could try to establish an alibi and get there and kill him and come back or whatever. And she wore, eventually confessed that she wore adult diapers so she didn't have to stop to piss on on the drive on the way over there to kill the uh, fellow astronaut. And that's been the news. Yeah, yeah, again, another news story that we missed uh, here somehow. I don't know how you live without staying informed on the major news stories. Hands and pockets and astronauts and... I got one hand in my pocket and the other one is on the remote control. What was that voice? What was the voice? I mean... That's Alanis Morissetti. That was nothing like Alanis Morissetti. Is that her song? I guess maybe it's her song. Yeah, it's mine now. I've taken it over. You sure have. So back to Raw. Are we getting back to Raw? So Damian Priest confronts R-Truth because he's been selling Judgment Day t-shirts in the parking lot. And he's pissed about that until R-Truth hands him a huge, ridiculous wad of stack of $100 bills. Like, you know, I had to have a sold-out Superdome to make that much money to parking lot if everybody bought one, right? And so then Priest says, all right, then just keep it quiet and don't tag in tonight when it's Miz and you against me and Finn. Because R-Truth thinks since he beat... J.D. Funko, he's in the Judgment Day, but the Judgment Day don't want him around. And blah, 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 sis, boom, bah. uh, Have I explained it to the people enough? This is what I'm not... Yes, R-Truth is a very funny gentleman. But if they're supposed to be the top heel group, this is a little fucking silly, isn't it? and, And they take it a little too far later on? Do they not? You know, it's so weird because they're in the middle of serious stuff and then they always go back to this R-Truth thing. And I don't mind him messing around with J.D. Funko and now you got me calling him that. J.D. McDonough and uh, Dom Dom and Nick Mysterio. I guess those are Dom and Nick, those two guys. Yes, yes. Is Nick okay? I hadn't seen him around. See, some of that I find funny, but the idea that Priest hates him and he's like, Here's some merch money. He's like, oh, shit, merch money. Yeah, I've never sold a T-shirt. Like, what the fuck? What was that reaction? <laughs> Who, by the way, the IRS is going to see this video of all this cash. Yeah. He's going to hand it out. That defeats the whole purpose of a cash business. 
So I don't well, know. Let, what... Well, let let's jump ahead in the in the chronology of this because we've got to go to later on the tag team match. There's more money being bandied about. They almost did the fucking match of me and Jimmy Hart and Bobby Eaton. We had two hundred dollars in crumpled up ones, and I got knocked out for it. And the ring filled up with forty fucking people. They were throwing thousands of dollars in what looked like legitimate money. Might have been stage money, but how are the fucking people gonna know? I'm surprised they didn't have a few dive in there to get a few stray ones. But the the tag team match that they had was The Miz and R-Truth against Damian Priest and Finn Balor. And before the match even starts, R-Truth pulls out. Again, It's it's if they're hundreds, which they're clearly on camera, it's tens of thousands of dollars. And he's dropping bills everywhere. And he's pulling it out. And he just hands it some of it to Balor. And then he gives Dominic a wad of it. And, and JD's like, what about me? And he's like, you, your name ain't on the shirt. And the Miz, who's supposed to be our truce partner, is standing there dumbfounded. So then our truce starts the match to fight the group that he thinks he's in. And Finn, who doesn't like him, attacks him. But when R-Truth fights back, he apologizes. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. So then Finn will take over on him again. <laughs> and R-Truth will ask Priest, well, what's up with Finn? Doesn't he know this is, this is, I'm on your side? Remember, Priest said to him in that promo, don't tag in. Well, he didn't tag in. He started the match. Right, he never tagged out. So he yes. never tagged in. But that was the instruction. And and that's that's what I'm saying. They go through a break with this, and they come out, they beat up our truth for a while. Finally, he tags Miz. Miz makes the comeback and throws Priest over the announce desk. And then as he's kicking the shit out of Balor, our truth tags himself back in. There's where he tagged in. And then he hit the uh, a big kick on Balor, and then, oh, shit, and it starts apologizing. <laughs> And so Miz nails Dominic. R-Truth nails JD off the apron. Priest hits a knee lift on Miz. R-Truth goes to hit Priest, but Priest turns around and says, whoa, I thought we were friends. And while they're interacting, Finn schoolboys R-Truth from behind, but R-Truth kicks out and kicks Finn. And then Priest chokeslams R-Truth and Finn covers him one, two, three. Yeah, that's what this was. It was. I'm just. This was. I. I wish they'd elevate the Judgment Day out of Falderall like this. Is what I'm saying. There are fans who believe this is WWE's attempt to make our truth this year's Sami Zayn with the Bloodline, with his attempts to uh. be involved with and the segments that evolved from his involvement with the Judgment Day. Sami wasn't an idiot. Sammy wasn't a comedy goofball. He was in that mousetrap match, but I don't think he would have booked that for himself. Sammy was the the little weaselly hanger-on that ended up being kind of a a nice guy at heart with that hangdog expression you couldn't help but think was cute and wanted to pat him on the head. None of that, I don't think, applies to our truth here in this scenario. Well, we shall see. It's going to be funny when they, when it turns out, like, wait a minute, someone does the math. 
how did he get all this money? And it turns out he just emptied his savings because he wanted to be in their group. So he just started handing him cash, claiming there were T-shirt sales. But there were no shirt sales. No one bought any shirts. No one bought the shirts, Jerry. Wouldn't anyway. WWE legal shut him down if he was in the parking lot selling bootleg shirts? Well, isn't that the whole idea is that it's preposterous on the face of it and potentially some racial overtones because he's an African-American man hustling something out of the back of his car in a parking lot? Or, well, I mean... Uh, uh, <sighs> So you don't think he'll be Sami Zayn? He'll be the breakout. He'll be the big thing where he gets the title shot at the end, and he's serious. He'll. The only way that he's going to break out is if he's sentenced first. All right. Well, there was more to the sentence that was more than I wrote. Yes. This week. Um, well, they had Dominic and JD Funko, all three of them, against uh, Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Sameface. And I love Tommaso, and but life is short. And if they ever dumped Gargano, I would watch Tommaso. But uh, they went through two breaks with this match and still only aired about seven or eight minutes of it. But they beat the babyfaces, beat JD with the, he's on his knees in the middle of the ring and they run and give him a double knee lift from both sides. That is a, a shit finish. The guy has no bump to take. It shows no tag team continuity we're not talking about the fucking rocket launcher or the double goozler the doomsday device or the fucking whatever the fuck we're talking about running and knee lifting the guy while he's already on his knees and it anyway that was followed by a girls tag team match playa would right. you like to know what followed that what followed that well there's still tension back there with priest as i mentioned in the judgment day because Priest is telling the Judgment Day that he had talked to Adam Pierce about Drew McIntyre running his mouth, blaming him for all his problems. And that's when old JD asked, why aren't we beating up our truth? And Priest blew him off and pulled out the shirt money and said they should find him and get their cut. And that's when they got their cut later on in their match. But there is, and, and Rhea is starting to get short Temper snippy, if you will, with Priest. Have you noticed? I think she's uh, the closest to breaking out and being a babyface than anyone else in that group right now. I don't know because she's already accomplished it. When she's on her own, she's a babyface. When she's with the group, they still love her, but they will work with her <laughs> instead of hijacking the match. But you know where we were then, Brian? No. The nine o'clock hour, the all-important nine o'clock hour, where you attempt to put a star on, and here comes our friend Kaiser Wilhelm to introduce Gunther. And you can tell again they got confidence in this guy, and they see him at a certain level because they put a live interview with him in the ring at the nine o'clock hour, and they're starting to use Kaiser more and better as a little more serious, you know, threat on his own in the wrestling ring. And they also make it a big deal when Gunther returns to the show after what, a couple weeks off, a few weeks yeah. off. Yeah. And while I've been gone, all of these things have gone on. And, and also he's the longest reigning intercontinental champion. He's got the great heel face, Dick York on steroids. We've talked about it. 
he's got comfortable now where he milks the booze. And, you know, his story is he's seen everybody argue who's going to win the Royal Rumble. Well, last year I entered number one and I was one elimination away from winning and the crowd started chanting Cody. So they're, they're, they've got the people to point now where they're calling for the matches they'd like to see. And he said, I lasted longer than anybody else ever has last year. And this year I'm going to win and I'm going to main event WrestleMania. That's what everybody wants to do. And here's another big star that we didn't mention with Seth and fucking uh, Punk and Orton and blah, 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 blah. And we haven't even talked about Logan Paul and or Pat McAfee and or goddamn Taylor Swift. Who else they're going to put in the ring this year? Ron Gronkowski. The Ron Gronkowski could show back up. And then once that he, you know, said to Gunther had said that that's his thing, he's going to main event WrestleMania. Then they recapped with a video the events since Gunther's been away where Kaiser hurt Kingston and, or hurt, uh, yes, hurt him, hurt Kingston last week. And remember I said that fight had a little more oomph to it. Kaiser's trying to step up. He looks like a, a fresh-faced young boy, but he has a heart of cold steel. And so Gunther loved it, and it showed grit and confidence and courage. Well done, and he hugged. He hugged our boy Kaiser. And I'm like, well, this is really going away. And then suddenly, New Day music. Ah, shit. And it's Woods. Corey, he hurt Kofi, so Kofi's out. But Woods is pissed at Kaiser because he'd gone too far. And he challenged him for a match if his if your daddy will let you. And of course the crowd starts, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? And Kaiser looked at him with that snooty look, you dare to challenge me, and he accepted. But then the only thing did you notice what immediately happened then? The, uh, I'm trying to did they go to commercial first or did he start beating up Kaiser first and then they went to commercial and then started the match? What well they 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 fought and went to commercial, but it was Gunther's interview, and Gunther and Kaiser are standing side by side. And as soon as Woods comes out and makes the challenge, and Kaiser accepts, Gunther disappeared. You didn't see him leave. He was never referred to again. He vaporized, vanished. What? How would it have hurt this fucking match if Gunther would have stayed at ringside and at least gotten kicked out by the referee or had a reason to just, if he's so proud of the guy, wouldn't he want to watch him beat the other member of the team? You would think so. There's no logic there. They just set it up for that to happen. Yeah. So, you know, anyway, the woods and, and Kaiser start fighting and go to the floor and the referee tells woods, get in the ring and they go to the break. And Gunther, as I said, was gone. So, but they come back and they have like a five minute match or whatever, and, and then go through another break. And finally they end up in a fight on the floor and it's a double count out. Cause this isn't supposed to be a, you know, main event pay-per-view match. It's on free TV and it's an angle. And Woods throws the stairs at Kaiser and Kaiser ducks and bails out over the rail and the referee holds Woods back. And that was kind of, you know, the flat finish. I would have preferred to see a little bit more rough brawling like we got last week, but they just got out of it with a double count out and let the heel run off. And then 
after they come back from the break, they're in the back, and there's Woods, and Kaiser jumps him again. And then Jey Uso pulls him off. So they they had me up to the the finish didn't have to be, as I said, a main event goddamn finish with 47 false finishes and, and whatever. They were doing an angle, but it was flat when they got to it. The double count out I wouldn't I didn't have a problem with if it was as violent and chaotic as it was last week. But instead it was like, oh, the, the heel's gonna run. And that that was what I was disappointed with. Yeah, I thought it was the perfect opportunity to give Kaiser a really strong, quick win over someone after the incident last week with Kofi. Unfortunately, if he does it to both members of the New Day, unless it's setting up Big E coming back to defeat him, you're not really setting up anything other than killing the New Day. I don't know if that's what they want to do right now. When you saw the highlight clips of just the, I guess, post-match stuff with him and Kofi last week, man, he really did look strong. But... Eh. I'm just baby steps, baby steps. Maybe sooner or later, he'll actually beat somebody. Well, Jim, perhaps the reason Gunther wasn't at ringside is something very logical. Maybe he went in the back to uh, jump on DraftKings and place a bet on who he thought was going to win the match. Well, you know, those Germans are notorious, notorious for betting. He's not They're German, is he? He's Austrian. Austrian, Austrian, German, Latvian. You know, the folks in Latveria, they're big on the DraftKings. Latveria? Over there in Latveria. You know, the whole the whole world loves DraftKings, and that's why that we tell them about it, because, folks, they're an official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs. Are they still playing off over in the NFL? Yes, the Super Bowl has not happened yet. Well, good. When does that usually take place? Uh, traditionally, it was the end of January, but lately it's been early February. Well, you still got some time, ladies and gentlemen. Win some money on the NFL. Lord knows those football players make enough money. There's no reason in the world why they can't spread some around a little bit. Make some money off of their sweat and toil. You know, what you need to do is you need to just jump on the back of one of these running backs or one of these tight ends you need a gen and just ride them to the finish line and win you some money they're making tens of millions well you right now if you bet five dollars on any game you can get two hundred dollars instantly in bonus bets that's for the new customers you can't be going back to the well too often but that that's to say just bet on all these teams one of them is bound to win we don't know who until it happens but Buy Cracky at $5 and 200 You could spread this shit around, couldn't you, Brian? Uh, yeah, I think we can say that. It says that we're not to provide any betting advice on how they should wager, but we could say that you could spread it around. We're not specifically advising you to bet on any one person. We're saying just bet on everything. If you bet on everything there is to bet on, there is a scientifically, mathematically proven statistic that you are 100% guaranteed to win something. That's not scientifically or mathematically correct in any way. If you bet on everything, how can you lose on everything? You could. The point is you could. You can't guarantee that you wouldn't. Bet on every game being played in every sport. Bet on everything that <laughs> takes a wager. Bet on whether Aunt Fanny's meatloaf comes out all right or not. Sooner or later, you're going to win and the crown will be yours. Where's all this money coming from? 
Well, let's go. They're getting you started. You put in five bucks. They give you $200 in bonus bets. Well, you can spread that around. Bet 50 cents on everything. Start small and work your way up. Folks, right now, is there's no time better. I'll tell you that. I can say that with confidence. There's no better time to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the code JCE to get the $200 in bonus bets on $5. I wish the stock market would give you a return like that. You put in five bucks, they give you 200. Pretty soon you're going to own the NFL. What would you do with the NFL if you owned it, Brian? You know, that's not really, I'd probably sell it. I'd probably find someone to sell it to because they would, someone would want to buy it and I really don't would want Would you sell NFL. it to The Rock? No. Because I think the survival of the NFL would be important to society. So it has to be someone who I think could actually pull that off. Would you bet the NFL against the, the uh, XFL in, a, in a, a one-on-one arm wrestling match against The Rock? And then they could take what? odds on it and put it on DraftKings Sportsbook and we could all make money betting on the outcome of the arm wrestling match that uh, was uh, uh, going to determine the fate of the XFL and the NFL. You asked what I thought about an arm wrestling match between the NFL and XFL and The Rock. Is he against no, you, the teams? You, and, you against The Rock. In arm wrestling? You against The Rock in arm wrestling. You bet the NFL against the XFL. A winner gets both football leagues. We'll take odds on the arm wrestling match, and we'll put it on DraftKings Sportsbook. Will there be drug testing? It and depends for how on, long? And for how long? Well, it depends on if The Rock won't agree to do the job. Let's see if there's drug testing. Let's see what The Rock agrees to with that. Well, in the meantime, without any drugs whatsoever except the ones that Brian and I are on, you can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use that code of JCE and get this incredible deal here that they got going on where you put in five bucks and they give you $200 in bonus bets. And if you can't, if you can't win anything with that, you don't need to gamble. And that's only on the DraftKings Sportsbook with code JCE because we're discriminating about this. We're not just letting any any bookie in a back alley somewhere have our code. These are the big deals in sports booking. That's why they're DraftKings. In sports booking? Sports booking. They book all the games to win or lose or go draws, broadways. They book the losers and the winners. And then you bet with them. Well, they, they know the losers and the winners ahead of time. So. No wonder they do so well. They don't them. know that. They are not. Well, if they're booking involved. all this, it's a sports book. If they're the booking agency, then wouldn't they know the finishes? They're not booking. They are the sports book. They are the gambling. Uh, I don't know if we say that word. They are the source. <laughs> they're the for book, placing the bets booking? and accepting the bets. It's the accepting of the bets. The placing of the bets is up to you. They're accepting the bets and they're 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 blessing the bets. But how about that point spread? What about Dicky bets? Where does he fit into all of this? Uh, didn't they throw him out of the band? Well, is is one of his offspring is back at this point now. I think he has a a, a child that's a guitar virtuoso. But we're not talking about them. We're talking about sports book at DraftKings. Who's booking this shit? Folks, anyway, put in $5, get $200. Sounds like a no-brainer to me, and that fits most people. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code JCE. The crown will be yours. But now there's other information.
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, parenthetically 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. Wish I had some for problem gambling? Call uh, if you need problem gambling, I guess. Oh, help is available for problem gambling. I thought I saw a period in there. Call 888-789-7777. It sounds like a goddamn slot machine paying off. Or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. (laughs) If you can't do that, then play often. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, we thank you. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. She may be as young as 14 in some states. Void in Ontario. Nobody has sex in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after the issuance of aforesaid bonus bets. And you can see DKNG.com, not to be confused with DKNY.com, slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. On behalf of all my family, my mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you. And I thank you. All right. The crown is yours with DraftKings, the official betting partner of the Jim Cornette, whatever the fuck this is. But back to Raw. It's your show. And we're going back to Raw and finishing this fucker up, too. There you go. (laughs) Oh, I can't remember what I was singing earlier. It might fit there if I could. I remember what you were singing. Oh, we're halfway there. (laughs) Oh, living on a prayer. Take my advice and bail out of this show. Okay. (laughs) So then we had Tazawa with Model Girl against Ivar with Valerie Holla. And Val is so ugly. When she goes to the bank, they turn the cameras off. Did you hear about that? Another person you're picking on for no good reason whatsoever. I did oh, not hear heavens. about that. I did not. I was in all the papers. As a matter of fact, she, you know, she's getting up there. She's in her, I guess, in her 30s now. She went to a plastic surgeon. She said, make me look like I did 10 years ago. He added a tail. But anyway, at, so then at, at <laughs> nine... <laughs> at nine... <laughs> I've not heard that one before. <laughs> At 9.55, here came Rhea Ripley for an in-ring promo. We got the mommy chance going. And she just, she warns whoever wins the Royal Rumble, if you want to waste your WrestleMania, and she was lost for the word, but the meaning got across, WrestleMania opportunity, WrestleMania chance, whatever, pick me if you want to, if you just want to waste the whole thing, pick me. Because elsewise, mommy's always on top. And all of a sudden, here's you think it's going to be the music for Refrigerator Jacks. You're going to hear an, an ice maker going and, you know, an a fucking. Maker. Yeah, for the refrigerator. The ice maker is going to be dropping the ice. You're going to hear the clink, 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 and then the forklift bringing in the sides of beef. But instead, it's Becky music for Becky Lynch, the man. And she does her entrance with her whoa music. Whoa. And she's a pretty strong talker also. And Rhea, of course, is the best at everything in the world of women's wrestling. So 
this was worth listening to. And Becky told the story. We've both gone from afterthoughts to the faces of the industry. One of us even main evented at WrestleMania. The other did not. One has the strength of a bear. The other, the heart of a lion. And potentially maybe there's somebody out there with a the smell of a skunk. We don't know. And uh, Becky's story is part of her thinks that Rhea may be better than her. So she's got to beat her and prove that she's not. And she needs to win the rumble so it can be mommy versus the man. And Rhea fires back up. I want you to win too. Because I want to beat you. I'll see you at WrestleMania. They're even making the women shit interesting. I know that's a it's a ridiculous statement for me to make, but Rhea Ripley, Becky Lynch, the promos, who's going to win the Rumble, who's going to challenge for whatever the fuck? I'll go for that. Will you not go for that? You know, it's an interesting and new matchup, Becky and her. It would be very interesting to see how the crowd's going to react to both of them doing stuff together, and again, more intrigue for the Royal Rumble, even if it's the women. I, be, I bet you that the crowd would react heavily to the two of them doing stuff together. I'm talking we're about... we're trying to keep professional okay. here. Here we are, Mr. Hefner. I don't know why you have to always drag everything into the toilet. I've got a big bathroom. There's plenty of room in there to move around. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wait a minute. The end of the Civil War was near when oh. quite accidentally a hero who seized abruptly seized retreat and reversed it to victory. Da -da 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 -da. His medal of honor pleased and thrilled his proud little family group. While pinning it on some blood was spilled and so it was planned he command F Troop, where Indian fights oh, are full sights and nobody takes a licking. Where pale face and red skin both turn chicken. When feuding and fighting get them down, they know their morale can't droop. As long as they all relax and count before they resume with a bang and a boom. All right. Well, we are back here with the... Uh, you, you gave me the intro, so I had to do it. We certainly handled the outro, too. Uh, were we done with uh, Rhea versus Becky? I'm not yes, even sure. Yes, we yes we were very interesting. Very, very interesting. interesting. Was there more? Then, raw? <laughs> yes, we we talked about the Miz and our truth situation earlier when we were to keep the continuity of that and and after that they they had uh, another girls tag team match playa and then it was time for our main event the match that that Tony Khan did more to promote than. <laughs> Any match that he's actually presented in the past several years. Jinder Mayhall and Seth Franklin Rollins for the whatever world title they call this one that Roman doesn't have. Mahal. No, the world title. No, not Mayhall. It's Mahal. You call them Mayhall. It's Mahal. I thought you said world Mahal instead of Mahal. world title. That's actually yeah. what Nia Jax was yelling when she heard her hole. She was actually calling for her friend, Mahal, but... Oh, that's what it was. We just missed it. Well, she's from South Samoa, so she pronounces it like I do. <laughs> anyway, so, and by the way, Gender Mayhall's entrance with Indusheer, the industry, uh, uh, his stooges, 
The only thing worse than rap music is rap music in Punjabi. I believe that is the language. That was some loud, annoying music that they played for this gentleman. And they, they sped it up this week because the, the, the first entrance started at 10.38 p.m. and the bell rang for the match at only 10.46. They got the thing in the ring in eight minutes. Unbelievable. And here that we know why that this match got all the attention. And it, not only did Jinder come out and do a good job with The Rock in that thing, and then he came out and did a lesser job with Seth because they whitewashed some of his material. But then Tony made it a big deal. And of course, over on in, in his bodega, over on the other side of the town square, he decided to have Hook challenge Samoa Joe for the their version of the world title. More on that later. But the only thing I was thinking, because I don't remember us paying a lot of attention to gender, and he hadn't been around in a while on a regular basis and or used in a prominent position, whatever. But I thought with all this attention and the way they're obviously giving him another chance at this, if he can just work, well, this will be just swell, right? It didn't stink. But as Mama Cornette used to say, it wasn't nothing to write home from summer camp about. He kind of does the the basic kind of shit that you could do and get by with it, doesn't he? He's not especially flashy in the ring, and he doesn't do any of the basics in such a way that stands out. Yeah, he got the size, he's got the look, he looks like a mean old fella. He's got the promo. And he's got the promo, but if this was what Seth can get, I'm you know I'm not sure that maybe they didn't make the right decision a while back. But we will see. Nevertheless, um, they opened, and this is this long-awaited main event world title match. They open up hot with a flurry. They go to the floor. Seth yells at the heel stooges. Priest starts coming down with the briefcase, and they go to break in two minutes. And they came back, they had eight minutes left on the air, so obviously they didn't they didn't think that they needed to leave him out there all night. And Jinder was working an abdominal stretch. And that's, you know, they had a stagey forearm exchange. Seth hit a big crossbody off the top, big senton and moonsault, sold his leg, so when he hit the pedigree, his bad knee went out. The heels got a rope break for gender, and Seth dove on a stooge. And that was pretty much it. They're both selling. Seth misses a splash off the top, and they're both selling. And Priest stands up like he's going to cash in something, but there's Drew at ringside suddenly, and they get to fight. So now we got something going on. <laughs> and... At that point, Jinder nutshots Seth and hits a finish on him, gets a two count, and then one of his stooges draws the referee and the other one slides a chair in, but already their timing is off and I don't know what the fuck's... One forgot to draw the ref before the other was looking for the chair. I don't know. But basically, Seth knocked Jinder down when he had the chair, but the other stooge hit Seth with the briefcase that... Priest had left behind when he and Drew fought off. And then Jinder hit his finish, but only got a two count. 
So then the and by the way, they've now got like a minute on the air. The referee kicks the heels out of ringside, but before they can even leave and that can settle in, Seth hit a curb stomp, one, two, three. So the build of this thing from from both the WWE and AEW was very good, but the match was eh, and the timing of the finish and the execution of same looked like a mess to me. They got the three count in about 10 seconds before they went off the air, but it was just shit was just happening. It, 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 the execution looked a little odd to me. And there was that. Yeah, there was that. I mean, there was that, you know, they did the thing with him and the rock got a lot of attention. He did such a good job that even though the rock just squashed him, treated him like a jobber after everything. You kind of got past it to see what's next. What are they going to do? The Rollins stuff, the talking part was good. But then it's turned into this. and Then the bell rang. And, well, the other <laughs> problem is now that he's lost to Rollins after this, they're really, you know, it's like you went to the WWF and you worked your way up and then you got to work with Bruno and then you lost and you worked your way down. Like, where the hell? You've seen him lose now. We've seen him treated like a jobber by The Rock. And now Rollins just beat him. He's got his tag team, which everyone forgot about. And they helped him here, and he still couldn't win. Not, I mean, do you think he should have won? No, but what I'm saying is that, that not only did they illustrate that he didn't win, but that he had extra help and still couldn't win. I mean, how one-sided do you want to make it? And no, he shouldn't, especially after this match. He should not have beat Seth Rollins for the title, but he was, again, his... The Stooges were foiled. Seth survived an, a foreign object fucking blow and then came back and hit his finish one time, one, two, three. You know, it wasn't real close here for too long. All right. Well, that was WWE Raw. And boy, was it. <clears throat> but again, stars, unfortunately, gender may not you know, join the pantheon of immortals like the Ortons and the Punks and the fucking Romanses and all this stuff, but they've still got stars, 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 stars. And and we just want them to talk to us. That's all we want them to do. Well, Jim, something that a lot of the listeners sent in and they want to get your opinion on, let's go to it now. The website Cage Match has received a lot of attention <laughs> over the last little while, not from anything they've done. I mean, it's just a no, fan, that, yeah. it's a fan website just doing their thing. It's that Tony Khan and Dave Meltzer. Dave Meltzer has used cage match to justify his match ratings when people have questioned them saying, well, look at everyone else's, they're just like mine. And Tony Khan has used it to justify his booking and the quality of his shows. They've received a lot of attention. Like I said, they didn't do anything. They're just fans. You know, some are with it, some aren't, but there are fans on a website keeping track of things. They released this this past week. I don't know uh, the actual person. Oh, Matt Max is the author. You know who this is aimed at. <laughs> I do not believe I have to do this, but with the unnecessary amount of news and attention that we have received over the last few weeks, the amount of tribalism between WWE and AEW trolls has re-intensified. I wish all of you idiots step on ah, Legos ah, for the rest of your days. Ah. Here's the new rule. 
No mention of AEW or Tony Khan or similar topics in comments about WWE promotion, shows, titles, matches, or contracted wrestlers, neither directly or indirectly. B. No mention of WWE or Triple H or Vince McMahon or Nick Khan or Shawn Michaels in comments about AEW promotion, shows, titles, matches, or contracted wrestlers, again, neither directly or indirectly. I will leave it at my discretion to extend this list of, and this is in quotes, contextually banned words (laughs) without further announcement. The vast majority of the community gets it, and I will protect this community and our ideals. Non-compliance with the new rule may lead to one-time warnings or direct bans, depending on the severity and comment history. I am sick and tired of you people. Again, you know who this is aimed at. Stop dragging us into a painfully unnecessary and embarrassing flame war between two fucking world-sized companies. The next step is to lock down WWE and AEW ratings to long-term registered users, and I don't fucking care if half of you leave at that point. (laughs) Cage match was a lot of fun when we were small and unknown, and I much prefer fun and small over big and hateful any day. No money is made with this website off of any of you clowns, and more people just cost me more each month for maintenance and hosting, so I don't give a shit about the paid hits. Personal note, I just gave out warnings for the Jinder Rollins match, where people were not commenting about the match, but making it about WWE versus AEW or themselves. I genuinely do not understand how these people can call themselves wrestling fans. I genuinely don't. So one of the people, I guess, who either runs it or sounds like he runs it. Well, yeah, Matt well, Max. Here's, here's the thing. We never said, it, it, to my knowledge, nobody's ever said there shouldn't be a cage match website and these fans shouldn't do these things. We were t- talking about the preposterosity of Tony Khan and or Uncle Dave citing a small, as the guy said, we liked it better when we were small, small fan website of fans who like a particularly niche product of wrestling. And they've got every right to have their website and rate their matches that they like the way they like it. But when you have the heads of, as he said, world-sized fucking companies Markish enough to believe that that makes a difference, which even this guy obviously knows doesn't and doesn't want it to. It doesn't make a difference in the business overall. It's just the most the the people that are most predisposed to say good things about Tony Khan. That's why he cites it, and that's why Uncle Dave cites it. But this guy is like, leave leave us out of this. What the fuck? Because now. They do have people, oh, fuck Cage Match. Well, Cage Match is a website. You can say fuck some of these people individually, but they're just rating matches. It's not their fault that one of their ilk 
had a father who was a multi-billionaire and decided to give him all the money he'd ever want to do his fantasy wrestling thing. That's what, what has brought their style of wrestling that they like to the national television audience, which is basically fucking rejected it. And that's why that those fans that are most likely to go to cage match like that stuff. So they're going to be mad because their company is getting the shit kicked out of them by the WWE, which does the kind of wrestling they don't like. So now they're all arguing with each other on this guy's fucking website who, as he said, just wanted to be left alone. <laughs> that's just, ah, ah. that's and now they're the, the fans arguing about this stupid, stupid shit because of Tony, are driving the fucking guy that owns the website or runs the website out of his mind. The fuck? It, it, Again, what happened was Tony started citing it publicly. Because even though Dave was, that's different. Tony's the head of the company. He's doing media scrums. Yeah, and then you you, actually, if Vince McMahon had said, well, I know that the buy rate for the Royal Rumble was down this year, but the folks at Cage Match said the matches were great. Vince would have fired himself. I know no one bought the pay-per-view, but Steve Beverly said we did a good job. Yeah. And that was Jim Hurd back in the day. Yeah. And Steve Beverly actually knew something, as opposed to a lot of people out there. But Tony Khan brought it up. It became a thing that people like the USA Network used to troll him. We'll see where it goes from here, but you almost feel like that's an open letter to Tony Khan. Leave us the fuck alone. Stop mentioning us. Yeah, and, and, and the guy, the, once again, the guy with poor old cage match there, He's his website is being bandied around in a mocking way by the fucking USA Network. He's like, what the fuck? Leave me alone. All right, Jim. Well, on that topic, why don't we talk a little bit about some recent retro action figures, retro wrestling action figures. I have a whole bunch of new ones here at Last Manor in the office. These are getting to be quite popular. You know, they couldn't make a retro cornet figure because everybody agrees that my appearance has not changed in 40 years. They you, can they can dust my hair a little bit with gray. You are the retro cornet figure. I'm the retro figure, baby. <laughs> well, first ones we have here, I have a couple of new figures from the Hastel Toy Gimmicks and Grapplers line. This one here is one I was particularly excited about. I just put a picture of it on Instagram. It is the new Greg Gerard figure, a.k.a. the artist formerly known as Oscar, from Men on a Mission. I didn't know that was his name. Greg Garrard, I guess. G-A-R-A-R-D. Well, it could is there should be like a phonetic signal or a pronunciation guide on the you know, that's a sign that maybe you're going really deep in the well on the action figures when you have to have a pronunciation guide for the fucking guy's name that's you're selling the figure up. Well, you see, the thing is, and again, Hastel Toy formally put out, or formally, they recently put out, I think it sold out though, the Again, I can't call them men on a mission. The Nelson Frazier Jr. and Bobby Horn action figures, <laughs> fellas with a purpose. You have those, you need an Oscar, but you can't call him Oscar. So it's Greg Garrard. What do you think his finishing maneuver is? Well, he was a manager and a rapper. He never wrestled. He didn't have one. And it comes with an accessory, if that's a clue. Oh, boy. Um, the, the mic drop. Son of a bitch. <laughs> His finishing yes, move no, is, that's not. It's the mic drop, and he comes with a little <laughs> microphone. <laughs> that's the first time on the first one you got it. Wow, do I have... Where's... 
Because I was thinking, what could possibly be even stupider than the last round that we talked about? It's a rowdy bunch of applause there. All right, we'll put this. This doesn't stop. Yes, it's a very small crowd. So the mic drop was Greg Gerard Gerard's formerly Oscar. His finish that in a he never wrestled. Do you agree that if you're going to make a Mo and Mabel, although under different names, action figure set, you kind of need him? And well, yeah. See, that's the the unwieldy thing of not owning your own name and or intellectual property or whatever, when you try to capitalize on fame that you had at one point, if you can't use the name, it's because a lot of people, you know, they might remember, oh, they're Oscar, men on a mission, but Greg Gerard, and he's got a microphone. We don't know what the fuck. I feel bad for Oscar. I can still call him Oscar. Well, you can call him whatever you want. You're not going to get sued over it. I but. can call him Ray, or I can call him Jay, or I can call him Raymond, or I could call him Raymond Jay, but I doesn't got to call him Oscar. Well, speaking of people who don't have their names, I have the next figure here from Hastel Toy. This is the new Mike Drosy action figure. Ooh. They can't call him Duke, so it's just Mike Drosy. It comes with a garbage pail. <laughs> and uh, what do you think his finishing maneuver is? Well, now, wait a minute. Um. Duke well, the, the dumpster sl- drosy. The slop drop was the Godwins. That's right. Uh, the the the. I'm trying to think. Didn't he have a uh, some kind of garbage related finish that he did anyway? But uh, and boy, again, what a rib! The guy gets on national television, and forever the most famous gimmick he'll have is that you know when he gets an action figure, it comes with its own garbage can. That's a. a disheartening type of thing what what i don't i can't remember what his finish was well the finish here is the trash bash the no wasn't it was it the trash combat no that was trailer park trash that used the trash compactor was the leg drop off the top rope so we're talking about this era of wwe and now a lot of these wrestlers are being revisited for people who you know it's really for people my age who had the hasbros that wwe hasbro figures when they were kids they're trying to Everyone that wasn't made from that era, they're trying to get in there, and some other people. And there was a reason why some of these people weren't made. And, and I like Duke Drosy. He was a very nice, nice guy. And wish he would have had chances as someone else somewhere else. But the, the gimmick was not, uh, not cosmetically pleasing. If someone approaches Tony Anthony about a T.L. Hopper figure, should he insist <laughs> on also having a dirty white boy variant? Boy, how... Should it be an I- insistence? I think it should be the dirty white boy figure and the TL hopper should be the variant coming with its own fucking toilet plunger for anybody to unstop their fucking brain. If they think anybody wants a fucking action figure of TL hopper. So you say there's a chance, just a chance. All right, Jim. Well, on the topic of these Hasbro style retro figures, the company figure collections has a line of figures called wrestle something. (laughs) <laughs> and they have put out something, and the question really becomes, should you be getting a royalty on this? What? It is Mosh and Thrasher, the headbangers. Oh! And they come here, they're wearing skirts, and they have their t-shirts, and it's a very good job they did of getting their uh, face on here. It looks like them. It looks like Glenn Ruth and... But now, what names are they using there? On the packaging itself, Mosh, yes. Mosh and Thrasher. Ah, ah, because because they were there before the WWE, or they weren't there before. That that doesn't make any sense. They were them. 
Instead of they well, were there, they were them before the WWE because I gave them the gimmick in Smoky Mountain. I have actually a little bit of a description here. Maybe this will answer something. Mosh and Thrasher have their first action figures in over 20 years with Wrestle Something Wrestler Series 1 by FC Toys. Can you believe the Headbangers have been without action figures since the late 90s? These figures have been in the works since 2021 when FC helped Chaz and Glenn get the trademarks to the Headbangers Mosh and Thrasher names. So apparently they just didn't have it. And WWE well, didn't have it. Well, you know what? I bet that WWE didn't renew if they did at one point trademark it because I signed papers signing the the rights or any rights or the intellectual property or the gimmick over to the WWE so that they could employ those guys under those names. Because it was Same thing with D'Lo Brown. Because it was your intellectual property or Smoky Mountains? Well, we were just calling it mine since it was my idea. And I just was signing anything that would get them guys a job. So, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I remember for, for Mosh and Thrasher and D'Lo, I did sign something that, yes, you can have the rights to this thing or whatever. So what do you think? Should the creator of the gimmick be cut into these figures? No, because then then you have to determine the level of, of participation that the creator may have had. Because did he, you know, did he take an instrumental and just write some words or did he create a song from whole cloth or did he just adapt something that already existed and change the tempo or did he just fucking erase the writer's name and put his own name on it? There's all kinds of stages of, so just a, you know, ideas, concepts, where do you draw the line? No, once I, as a booker, I always thought if I can give a guy a gimmick that he can make money with, then he'll, if he gets to be a big star, he'll come back and do me a favor. Jim, another of the Hasbro style retro toys, the zombie sailor official wrestling heels and faces figure line just put out a one man gang figure. This has the tattoos on the side of the head, as well as, and I opened one of them here. A denim jacket, or a denim vest, with one man gang, 747 on the back. Once again, Zombie Sailor did a great job with this. When it comes to the one man gang, as someone who saw him as Crusher Broomfield, were you surprised when he became, not the one man gang, but when he actually got the one man gang look? Because he had the name yes. before the look, but he was just a big guy with long hair, looked like a sea monster. <laughs> and then all of a sudden... Gary Hart, I guess, got him the look. Well, yeah. It, gang, originally, he, he was one-man gang for ICW. Or I'm, I, let me try that again. He was... Ronnie Garvin was the one-man gang for ICW. That's what his nickname was. And Crusher Broomfield was Crusher Broomfield for ICW and in Memphis briefly. And then when he went to Mid-South, he got the one-man gang name, but he kept the Crusher Broomfield look, right? And then when he went to Dallas and Gary Hart got a hold of him, that's when he became the more modern version of the one-man gang that we remember. And that was with the mohawk haircut and the tattooed head and the fucking, you know, the gene, the gang clothing because he was supposedly from Halstead Street on the south side of Chicago. And that's what Gary loved to take guys that had talent, natural talent, and were capable of having a look, even if they didn't have it at that point, he could see what it was. And 
whereas, you know, the Crusher Broomfield and when Gang first got into business, he looked like if a member of the Allman Brothers from the early 70s was six foot six and 350 pounds or whatever. He just long hair and beard and he was a country boy. <clears throat> but Gary made him a fearsome gang member from the, you know, wrong side of Chicago and gave him a backstory and get little things like a moon, the one man gang moon. You know, he'd give the, you know, guys first names or the proper hometown or, you know, whatever to fit the nationality or whatever they were trying to, to get across with the gimmick. So Gary liked to do that because it made it more, it made it a, a bigger draw if the guy was talented and it made it more legitimate, more credible if there were little details that were filled in instead of this guy just looks like this and where the fuck did he come from? So that was when gang really got the, and he was still, you know, a country boy named George, but he looked like a goddamn monster, like he'd kill you. And his work at that point before, you know, inevitably like Blackwell and like a lot of the guys, Bam Bam Bigelow, that size catches up with you quicker, age catches up with you quicker than regular size guys. But at one point, Gang was one of the best, most athletic workers in the business, even at that size. You know, it's a match I really like, and I'm afraid you're going to hate it because you weren't there and what it meant and everything. <laughs> But Big Bubba versus One Man Gang when he Big Bubba won the UWF title when Dustin oh, took yes, over. Oh yes, yes. No, they they worked it was so great. well together. Oh, and yeah, and Gang was like a five year earlier version of Bubba. They were both that size, but both moved like much smaller guys and really understood you know working and having an exciting match. And that's what that match was. And of course, they became yes. a tag team later on as uh, Big Boss Man and Akeem, the Twin Towers. But Jim, next here I have some interesting figures. These are from the WWE line of superstars. They're kind of modeled after the, uh, in a lot of ways, the Remco figures the AWA had in the 80s, or even He-Man, but with more uh, joints and stuff. But I have here a Hulk Hogan oh, figure. Wait a minute, I thought this, this stuff is going to be sold to kids too. Are they putting drugs in the... The packaging? Oh, no, I said it's like the 80s, so uh, they have different joints and different things. No, yeah, uh, joints in the elbows and stuff, but I have Vials of white powder in their trunks. Well, here's something you probably never thought they would make, but it appears to be a 1979 Memphis Hulk Hogan figure. <laughs> I've heard about this. It's Hulk Hogan. He has hair on his head. He has blue boots on, and he has a black jumpsuit of sorts. The only time I've ever seen him wear this outfit was that Memphis promo he did with Ed Leslie. Or what was he at the time? Dizzy Hogan. Uh, no, he was Eddie Boulder. Eddie Boulder. He wasn't even Dizzy Hogan. Point. He was Eddie Boulder. Um, well, they were still brothers. They were the Boulder brothers. What do you think of 79 Memphis action figures? And well, you know, I should maybe get something off of that because that was obviously taken off of, of the photos that I took. The only pictures of Hogan in the Memphis studio, as far as I know, I took them. And I've taken the... You know, the various rookie year pictures that you see with the blue background and et cetera. But also, you mi you missed one thing. The 79 Hulk fit. Doesn't he have the mushroom cloud? If I peel off the little Velcro, hold on. and I go. They put his chest hair on with Velcro? No, the Velcro is for the shirt because you can't have a real shirt here. You have to find a way to get it on and off these figures. He has 
a very shoddy paint job of what is supposed to be mushroom cloud chest hair. Hey, yeah, Fred, for those who don't remember or never saw it, when his rookie year, he had his chest hair and stomach hair shaved in the shape of a mushroom cloud to go up his chest. So that's how you can tell the uh, the uh, early years. So, yeah, going to be a lot of demand for that one. Where did you think Hulk Hogan was going to go, like career-wise? I mean, you didn't know where the business was going to go, but did you think this is going to be a top guy or this is just a flash in the pan? He wasn't exactly oh. stellar, but he had that look in 79. Yeah, he was so... He was so not natural, and the personality was not developed, and I don't know if I gave it a ton of thought one way or another, but I knew he was never going to get over here, because what he was doing was not getting over with anybody, because they were both the shits. They were green. I don't know that I ever thought he would be the biggest star in the history of the business. I thought, yes, you can do something with a guy like this, but boy, he needs to do it somewhere else, because he's killing this fucking show. Um, but then a year later when he kind of figured out the personality and, you know, you can look back now and Hogan's work with today's eyes didn't look that bad for a guy that size. And a lot of stuff he did from what 81 through maybe 84, 85. And then he started really coasting. But, uh, but this was a, see, this was Hulk Hogan where the promo really wasn't very good. And his work not only was not good, but it was awkward because he was green. So there was nothing, you know, a lot of people say, well, Hogan's matches were always rotten, but the promos were great. He talked him into building. No, these promos weren't good and the matches were worse because he was green. So that's why it didn't work uh, in, in Memphis. And he he was helped in in Continental because he had the, the run with Andre or the matches with Andre, a couple of them. And he was used more because, you know, and he had he a manager. Bit... Didn't Billy Spears manage him too? Yes, I believe for a time. And also, you know, he'd learned a little bit more about what he was doing because pretty much after working under a mask in Florida, Tennessee was the first place he came. So every then continental and that Georgia, he was Sterling golden in Georgia. And, you know, it, it wasn't great, but he was getting better and getting, trying out gimmicks and establishing his personality. So by the time, well, I, they brought him back here in 81 for that match with Lawler, but he'd already started going to Japan and he'd already started establishing, you know, a national presence and had had the heel run or was having it at the time in the WWF. So it only took a couple of years, because, you know, a guy that looks like that, but boy, you couldn't, you couldn't really tell he was going to be a good promo or any kind of good worker during his run here in Memphis. And the bad thing was he was the one that stood out more than his brother, Eddie. Well, on that topic, Jim, I have here from the WWE, I believe this is the Legends line from Mattel, a brand new Jimmy Hart action figure. Now, unfortunately... This is Jimmy Hart when Hulk Hogan first went to WCW. Babyface, wearing orange and red, with a giant picture of Hulk Hogan on his back. <laughs> but he's got the megaphone. So Jimmy Hart action figure. What do you think was Jimmy Hart's coolest? Well, let me rephrase that. When did he dress best? When was he cool? Because it's almost like a Paul Schaefer thing. Paul Schaefer, 
was like that nerd that was kind of cool. And then all of a sudden he's wearing like sparkly jackets and he shaves his head and he's, <laughs> you know, he's very flamboyant, but he wasn't like that when he was younger and you first started to like him. Jimmy Hart, I always thought looked cool. And then he didn't. When do you think he looked his coolest? Uh, well, like you said, when the nineties, when he was more the hype man for Hogan and, and you know, the, the whole suit was centered around Hogan's face or whatever there. Eh. Jimmy was more Jimmy himself in Memphis because that was what he was. He was putting together his clothes based on what he could buy at the rock and roll stores in Memphis and the secondhand shops and being more punk rock about it. When he got to the WWF, he was making more money. He had a budget. He could have shit made, but then it, it you know, he had a, an outfit to match everybody that he uh, that he managed or was, you know, associated with. And at that point, it was all over the place. I liked Jimmy Hart in Memphis when he was dressing kind of like Jimmy Hart would fucking dress. And I mean, it was still the piano key, skinny ties and the top hats and the canes and the, you know, the sequined lame lapels and pocket flaps on a tuxedo jacket with tails and shit like that. But it was Jimmy. And he was getting all that shit around Memphis. I would say either 81, 82, or 84, 85 Jimmy Hart. Maybe the coolest Jimmy Hart, but... Well, what happened to fucking 83? Yeah, he's good there too, but I didn't want no, to just I'll say... I'll tell you what happened to 83. 83 is the year when they were working him to fucking death, and he just started wearing it like a goddamn, you know, prison orange jumpsuit out there every night because he was working five times a night and getting juice. Well, this action figure here has a megaphone. Vince McMahon was the one who gave him the megaphone. How do you think the megaphone would have worked in a territory like Mid-South for a heel manager? Oh, good Lord. Well, and I don't say, I don't know whether Vince gave him the megaphone or just allowed him to use it because somebody had to bring up Wakamatsu, didn't they? Remember OKY Wakamatsu in, in Calgary? Didn't he do the megaphone before Jimmy? Now I've stunned you. No, I was on mute. Uh, I wasn't oh. stunned. No, that is a good point. The question would be, how did it get from him to Jimmy Hart so that it would have been an idea that he used right when he got to the WWF? Well, very possibly Danny Davis. Danny Davis and Ken Wayne spent a long time in Calgary, and also they were Nightmare in Speed in the original incarnation of the first family, and Danny Davis is one I got a ton of VHS tapes from because he used to take his video recorder and record everything. He was an early wrestling tape watcher. So that could have been the pipeline. The point is, these things travel. That was the perfect gimmick for Jimmy. How would it have translated in Mid-South? It would have been harder in the bigger buildings because those things are not goddamn the, you know, the PA system for the Myriad Arena in Oklahoma City. Uh, but it visually, it still works. But those crowds were fucking loud, though. Um, but it, it, it would have actually probably gotten just as much heat as Jimmy did with it, even more heat in Mid-South, and it would have also been handy because those things are fairly sturdy, so when you needed to whack some motherfucker in the head, you I've started going through a number of rackets between working with big guys like the Road Warriors and Duggan, Dr. Death, those guys, and then hitting the fans all the time. I was Spend a lot of money on rackets. Megaphones may have been more durable. Do you think you would have had more heat? 
if you were running around ringside with a megaphone yelling? I I don't I don't think we could have had more heat, but it would have been <laughs> it would have been interesting. Well, and I was yelling anyway. That's what happened to my voice. I was trying to be heard naked, naked throated in the top row of the balcony. Well, we've talked a lot about it and we'll talk a lot more about it in the future weeks. 40 years ago, you guys had a ton of heat. And of course, we're talking retro figures. What better way to wrap this up than talk about the latest, the greatest, the biggest announcement in the world of retro figures. And of course, it's your announcement to make. The retro kings, because we are retro. And, And boy, as a matter of fact, the big announcement, the major announcement, I made it when Brian Solomon was on the air instead of you. Did you miss the part where I mentioned that I talked to Stan Lane last week and his mother, Jean, will turn 104 years old this year? Wow. And I mentioned to Brian Solomon that, you know, she still lives independently. And she had to give up driving, I believe it was a few years ago, when she had a shoulder injury, and she was not happy about that. And if Stan ever mentions, well, you know, Mom, you're you're 103 or anything that starts like that, she'll get mad. She'll, I'm just as surprised I ever was. Uh, but I mentioned that, I said, here we are. We've talked about the action figures that have been done for the 40th anniversary of the Midnight Express and the four-pack that was a big hit with collectors. A few hundred still available at jimcornette.com. But I said, (laughs) when we talked about the money going to the talent, we eliminated the middleman. And this is a project from jimcornette.com and Cornette's Collectibles to the fans out there. And so the boys are able to share in the proceeds. You know, Dennis and Teresa are happy because, you know, Dennis has survived cancer a couple times. He's mostly retired now from any kind of appearances, except occasionally, and this will help them out, especially with all the medical bills that they'd gone through. And I say, obviously, Bobby is gone, but his kids and grandkids, who he's just had a couple more grandkids uh, show up, you know, it's going to help them. But I said, now, Stan, I'm talking about a 70-year-old man And he's thanking the fans for purchasing the figures because it's helping him plan the rest of his mother's retirement. You don't get to say that often. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So, and think of his genetics. Yeah, how long how long is he going to live? His his father was ninety something when he passed away. So yeah, so Stan's retired from two different careers already. He's trying it. Now he's looking for a third. So he thanks you as well, but here's the big deal. And, uh, I know everybody's been waiting for me to get to the point. The second part, the part two, the final chapter of the midnight express 40th anniversary celebration. The only negative feedback we heard on the four packs was I just can't afford it. Because there's four of them, and boy, we had the whole deluxe package. So, tag team sets are now going to be available. You can get your favorite combination, Eaton and Lane or Eaton and Condry, or both. And these are the same deal as from Figures Toy Company. They come in display boxes, illustrated with photos, and they come with a an autographed photo along with the action figure set personalized by me to your specifications and signed by Dennis and or Stan, whichever combination you're picking. I'm going to tease people more details next week, but there is, again, a very limited number, less than 50, of pictures with the Eaton and Condry set that Bobby signed before he passed away. 
and those are going to be available and they'll go quick like the last ones did. And also, while we're at it, since Tom had a contract with Figures Toy Company when we were doing this particular project, there'll be less than a thousand of the Eaton and Condry and Eaton and Lane action figure sets. As you'll recall, there were 2,000 of the four packs, and we've sold about 1,500 of those. So these I expect to go quick, but there will also be a limited edition 500 sets of Stan Lane and Tom Pritchard, the Heavenly Bodies, the original Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champions, the picture on the back with the Smoky Mountain Tag Team title belts, and that comes with an autographed picture of all three of us. And the tag team sets start at only $99.95, so it's for everybody's budget. And once these are done, folks, and I'm going to have more details next week on my future plans, but once once these are done, we're not redoing midnight figures. I don't have I don't have another two-year project in me. This is the only place you can get them. They'll not be available anywhere else but jimcornet.com. And all I can say is get them while they last because this will be the final chapter, as I mentioned, on the four packs in our Midnight Express celebration. This is going to be the last anniversary we do because this is the last one that we started planning when Bobby was still around. So we're trying to go out with a bang. And by next week, the week of what, the 20, what is Monday? 22nd, 23rd, 22nd. something around there. 22nd. You should be able to go to jimcornett.com and there will be banners with pictures and complete descriptions of what you get and what everything looks like. And everything will go on sale Saturday, February 10th at noon Eastern time. And uh, be standing by and we're going to try to organize with Hotchkiss where everything goes up right at noon. Because <laughs> last time, I think he hit the button a minute too early and people got upset. But anyway, the Midnight Express, Eaton and Condry, Eaton and Lane, and the Heavenly Bodies, Lane and Tom Pritchard, with autographed photos. And there's still going to be some packages with the Milestones Midnight Express book also. So February 10th, they'll go on sale next week. Check in at jimcornett.com, and you'll be able to see everything there. And the same thing again, as I mentioned, all the proceeds will be split evenly amongst the surviving Midnight members. and. Bobby's kids and grandkids. All right. There it is. The Midnight Express action figures. Will the Stan Lane figure come with a little wig that you can put on the figure? for the No, no, but we, we were, we were thinking about including several very tiny bottles of baby oil, but we thought, well, no, we thought better of that. Well, Jim, of course you are in a wonderful position because the members of the cult of Cornette can go right to you, right to your website, right to jimcornette.com and get those figures. Bam, right there, right there. But a lot of people may be thinking, oh, you know, this is a lot of good ideas. Maybe I can create action figures of me and my friends or something. Yes. You would need a website. You need a store. I mean, they should look at what you've done and kind of mimic that business model, right? Well, this is complicated. I mean, it's complicated. It, you know, you got to have the store. You got to have the platform. You can't have the, the thing crashing on you as happened to me in the past. You can't have... You know, just all this chaos going on. Yeah, need people that know what they're doing with this thing, and not some fly-by-night operation. It's very complicated. It should not be left in the hands of amateurs. You need to go to professionals on this thing. And that's why that we've said many times before, no matter what you're selling, even if you're selling like you're going to the electric chair, you need our friends at Shopify. 
because shop us no matter what you're selling at this time of year maybe it's snow shovels maybe it's it's furry collars to go around your neck maybe it's those giant russian cossack hats like tony khan wears at media scrums to keep you warm <laughs> in this cold environment this time of year no matter what you're selling if it's pencils in a tin cup or if it's Broadway tickets, or if it's who knows what, giant automobiles, build your own cars and sell them online, whatever you want to sell. Our friends at Shopify can help you do it because they are the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, no matter what stage of your business you're in, whether you're in the, oh my God, we're going broke stage or the, oh my God, we're making so much money, we got to figure out a way to cheat on our taxes stage, no matter what, Shopify can help you from start to finish because as I mentioned, they are the global leader. They're a no excuses business partner. It says that right here. No matter what goes wrong, they got no excuses for it. Well, no, you that's... Can that's not what it means. That's what does it mean? What? It's, there's no excuses. I got nothing. Sell without needing to code. Shut up now. Cause we got to do this. Sell without needing to code or design. Just sell the shit. People will run up and throw money at you when you get one of these platform stores here on Shopify. Just bring your best ideas, even your worst ideas. They, they can make anything happen. If you want to sell ostriches, they can figure out a way to make them no. son of bitches fly. Let's see, that's not how it works. And first of all, I don't think it's legal to sell ostriches on online, on the web. Secondly, they're not going to- You got to do it in person? If you have I a, don't see a lot of door-to-door -door ostrich salesmen. If you have a product that you have created or have the uh, rights to sell, you can create an online store and they can help your commerce run- Freely or run well. Freely? No, they're not going to make you give your shit away. They'll actually charge for it. With Shopify magic, you can whip up captivating <laughs> content that <laughs> never sounds real when you transition to Shopify magic. <laughs> With Shopify magic, you can whip up captivating content that converts from blog post to product description, you can make shit and suddenly it'll just change into something else. Complete, it'll convert into a completely different thing. Magic. You can, you can generate instant fact answers. The, the answers fact. to all your facts, FAQ. Frequently instant asked questions. fact answers. You can pick the perfect email send time. Apparently, if there's a time that's better than others for someone to receive your email, then they'll just... Bring it then. And Shopify makes getting paid simple by instantly accepting every type of payment. Every legal currency, coin of the realm, anywhere in the globe will be accepted instantly. Legal and tender. Any legal yes, tender. Yes. And they'll give you the rubles and the rupees and the sharpies and the, the coins tender. of various realms. And then, you know, good luck taking that down to Walmart, though. Those fucking rupees, they can't figure out a way to convert. But anyway, the Shopify grows with your business no matter how far or big you grow. So no matter how fat and corpulent you get, they will still service you until the inevitable end comes and your artery arteries are all clogged up. So marketing is made simple by Shopify removing the guesswork with built-in tools. 
they send you an entire belt. You click it on and the tools are all built in right there where you can create, execute, and analyze. There's no belt. Your online marketing campaigns, if you execute something and it's dead, you, I guess it's a post-mortem, you can create, execute, and post-mortem your online marketing campaigns with Shopify. And I'll tell you what, Brian, it's cheap. It's almost free like you said a minute ago, but they won't make you give your <laughs> merchandise away for free. They'll just almost give this away for free because you can sign up for a $1 a month trial period, a dollar a month. That's three, 3.3 cents per day, but good luck trying to cut that penny in thirds. A dollar a month trial period at shopify.com slash JCE. Now, this is very important. The JCE must be entered in lower case because they put that in capitals here. That's why I know it's important. If you want to get this dollar a month trial period, shopify.com slash lowercase JCE. If you type it in capitals, not only will you not get the deal, but also something happens to your computer. I'm not sure what. Screen goes. You're not black. sure what because nothing happens to the computer based on anything you just said. Well, just follow my instructions if you want to be safe. Err on the side of caution. Shopify.com slash JCE to grow your business no matter what state you're in or stage you're in or county, country. I guess they're all over the world. Well, Shopify.com slash JCE. See, that's what's going to happen. Oh, boy. Every time, and you'll hear this in your sleep, folks, because they come and they install a loudspeaker in your home, so every time somebody buys something from you, you get the trademark cash register symbol, and you know you've made some money. But goddamn 24 hours a day at the fucking volume of a Who concert, that'll start driving you to distraction. Shopify. That's right, and who are you? You're slash JCE. Once again. Who the fuck are you? That's right. Well, I'm the host of the show, actually. Oh, I'm getting yes, a, you are. I'm getting it, a text it, it, message. From the sponsor the, already? Yeah, Usually no, it takes them a day or two to quit. Well, Jim, uh, moving on uh, from this, I did want to ask you a question before we get back to a couple of wrestling things and AEW Dynamite. You are right now living in an era where you don't have a phone to hang up. Like, if you wanted to get into an argument with some, not wanted to, but if you got into an argument well, with someone over the phone, yes, you don't have the satisfaction of the hang-up. No, because now you just hit the button and it makes no noise. You can't slam it. You can't, you know, the, the, the Super 70 Sports Twitter account tweeted a picture of this the other day. Said, boy, you got satisfaction when you hung up on a motherfucker in the old days because you had the big, heavy handset and the big, heavy desk base. And when you got the good even slam on it where you'd get into the middle of the cradle there yeah. without hitting the edges, then the phone would actually go ding. And that was some sense of satisfaction that, you know, you'd hung up on a motherfucker. Now it's just like, ding. if you had a heavy phone, it was a satisfactory clang yeah. that you got. That's why I, I scream louder before I hang up now, because I can't make the point with the, the, the slam. Do you think you would embrace smartphones if there was a slammable smartphone? That was the question I was trying to get to. Well, I actually had a, uh, I didn't have a smartphone, but I had a slammable cell phone <laughs> when, when I was with Ring of Honor. 
because I would take that thing every time we were at TV and somebody would call from the office or somebody would, I was on location and somebody would call with some goddamn news that, I remember the big one in Charleston, West Virginia was that the legal department of Sinclair Broadcasting, who we've now found out are a bunch of right-wing pieces of shit, so fuck you, David Smith. I always wanted to say that to your smarmy-looking face. He's the boss. Anyway, the legal department from Baltimore, Sinclair Broadcasting, called me at the building in Charleston, West Virginia to say that one of the integral parts of the like five or $6,000 sponsorship we had sold to Hooters Restaurant as one of the sponsor packages that I'd gone over and helped the sales department at the TV station put together for this live event. We did more in sponsorships. They did at the gate. It's, oh, well, you can't have the chicken eat chicken wing eating contest tonight. I, what, why? Well, a, the legal department is there's a liability. What? What is... I never even got the goddamn word. He said, well, we can call them back and they could... I said, that's the last thing I need is one of these fucking lawyers calling me today at a TV taping when all this other shit's going on. And they, I said, what did you think? Somebody's going to get a chicken bone stuck in their neck and sue us because the wrestlers are eating the goddamn chicken wings with them? Well, we're not... It's a fuck you. So I threw... It was a flip phone. The same thing I got now, only a little bit smaller. But boy, was this thing durable. I threw it the length of the Charleston Civic Center ballroom that we were doing the TV taping in. And I figured, well, okay, that's in a million pieces. And I'll be a bitch. One of the crew guys went over and picked it up and brought it back to me. There wasn't a goddamn mark on it. So I fucking, Kim Kelly was sitting there and I, they, Nigel, I can't remember whoever we were doing commentary at the time. I, I said, it's still in one piece. So I threw it down on the floor and started jumping up and down on it, stomping it. Still couldn't break the fucking thing. So that was one of the many times that I tried. But that was so happenstance. It, it, was, it wasn't a selling point to the phone. Like you could buy this one and slam it down, get the satisfaction of hanging up on someone. No, I was actually very, it was the other direction. I was very upset that I couldn't break the thing into a million pieces. So maybe you would like a smartphone. If we can get some kind of deal where you can get 10, get them in bulk, and you could just throw them and you break those. You could break no, those very easily. Because now I'm, I'm all these years older. If I throw something that hard, I'm going to hurt my shoulder. It's bad anyway. If I stomp on something, I'm going to hurt either my knees or my fucking hip. If I take a club or a blunt instrument of some kind and go to town on something in the garage like I've done in the past to relieve my minor frustrations, then I'm either going to have a hernia or I'm going to hurt my fucking back. So I can't get mad anymore. That's why I avoid people. Let me ask you a question maybe the way Bill Watts would. Because you look like you were hiding during gym class, do you think people are surprised that you have a good arm? That you can throw things far? No, I'm surprised I have a good arm now because most of everything else I've got is the shits. Um, no, I, I, well, it just depends on the state of mind I'm in. I can throw things a lot farther and hit things a lot harder when I'm fucking mad. Otherwise, you know, I would just, I would fall into the middle range. You could have been a sensation on the mound. On the oh, I, I the uh, baseball. Mound. Yes, right. I was I was on the mound. What are you, an Indian burial mound? What are you <laughs> trying to put me into here? Well, 
Speaking of speaking uh, of Indian burial mounds. Yeah, this has no uh, transition there, but want to get your take on a couple things happening. One, let me pull this up. I had it pulled up. There it is. News broken by TMZ. Hulk Hogan apparently rescued a woman from a burning car. <laughs> Wanted to get your thoughts on this. Did you see this? And also, how amazing is it that Hulk Hogan in an NWO shirt rescued someone, <laughs> rescued someone during an accident? Do you remember other instances? I remember one in uh, UWF of wrestlers saving other people from car accidents. Well, yeah, and that was somebody on Twitter said, can you imagine you're in a fucking upside down burning car and all of a sudden you see Hulk Hogan in an NWO t-shirt coming running to your rescue? But <laughs> actually, um, um, I saw the, the pictures and everything, the TMZ story and blah, 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 but it apparently it was Hulk Hogan, his new wife, they'd been out to dinner with a, a friend of theirs, and it the pictures looked to me, every picture I saw was Hulk Hogan was standing there with his hands on his hips staring at everything and the friend was the one that was running and or pulling and or whatever but apparently the the woman got clipped on the interstate right in front of them and flipped up upside down in the ditch and they went up there and oh it wasn't burning at all it was just flipped over well, no it, it, i i don't know i don't know whether it was a goddamn five alarm fire i i think there may have been a picture of some something burning i don't know what um, but yeah, but uh, again, apparently uh, what I saw was uh, there was no like video of running and panic and the still pictures I saw were Hogan was standing there looking at this shit and, and the other guy was, had been running around doing some things. Let me read it to you the way TMZ wrote it here. Hulk and company, our sources explained, pulled over immediately with Hulk Hogan and his pal Jake. Rushing over to render not, aid. Not the one you might think. Rushing over to render aid to the driver. A woman whom we're told was rattled. Since they were first on the scene, we're told Hulk and Jake actually helped to get her out of the car. Our sources say Jake popped the woman's airbag with some tools that Hulk had on hand. <laughs> and they both unbuckled her seatbelt. He see, he had the tools from Shopify. <laughs> and they both unbuckled their seat. It was a two-man job to unbuckle yeah, the seatbelt. Yeah. Well, you know, those things can be tricky in the newer models. And assisted her in safely leaving the vehicle. We're told paramedics eventually arrived on the scene, and Hulk and his crew looked on. In the end... <laughs> that, that, that's where they took the pictures of Hulk looking on. In the end, our sources say the woman appeared to be okay, and Hulk Hogan was happy to help. Who were their sources that were on the scene at the side of the road there? I, it, it could it have been Hulk's wife yeah. that posted the pictures on, on her Facebook account or whatever. Say, look what my husband just did. Our source, where we can't give his real name, he calls himself Terry B, told us uh, <laughs> this is what happened. And they call us brother 80 times. So Hulk Hogan saving the day. Any thoughts on this? Um, here he comes to save the day. Well, you, you asked about or mentioned oh, other instances. Other That's right. Other instances was that was that uh, Doc and and Duggan? I think it was Doc and Steiner. Doc and St that's right. Uh, Doctor Death, Steve Williams, and Rick Steiner. And I'm surprised more guys didn't not only get involved in but come upon accidents in the Mid South Territory with those fucking roads. But yeah, there was a time that uh, I think it was was what 86 ish. I guess Steiner would have probably yeah. just started. 
That's right. That they came upon a flaming wreck and had to pull. It wasn't the story that. And this, I can kind of believe a doc yanked the fucking door off of something or other. I always heard that Dr. Death yanked the door off the hinges. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, they, um, do you call them hinges on the uh, car? I don't know, but he yanked the door off. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, and, and you can see that happening with uh, when doc got mad or, uh, fucking, uh, what's the, uh, the adrenaline going, but there was it's, the backup was Steiner. So what the fuck? I don't think the car door stood a chance. Um, I mean, you know, there's been times over the years in the territories that guys came upon wrecks and I don't know, you know, whether anything ever made national news, like when Duggan and Sheik got stopped on the turnpike, there was, you know, obviously the, unfortunately the wreck that it killed Sam Bass and, and Frank Hester and Pepe Lopez. Some of the guys came upon that one because they were on the way back from Memphis, but it was obviously too late to do anything. And in the territory days, putting in almost any territory, guys would do 2,000 miles a week in the car, every, you know, every week. And then something like Mid-South or, you know, a fucking place like Calgary where everything was so far apart was even more. So there was a great, you know, accident stories and hitting mooses and things and such in, in the Calgary Stampede territory. That's why I don't uh, know how more of those guys didn't end up at the bottom of a frozen lake with the stories and the, they would drive on those roads like they were driving on, you know, normal roads in normal weather to just get to the towns and everybody that ever worked there that didn't like live there and just homestead there and wasn't used to it said they'd never been scared for their fucking life. But where were we? I don't know where we ended up in Calgary on snow covered roads. That's right. And you know that when Dr. Death and Rick Steiner drove down the road, they weren't like listening to Christian music in the car or anything. Like, they were, <laughs> you know, they're probably pretty amped up ready. What's that on the side of the road? Ah! You know? <laughs> hey, Doc was fucking amped up all the time. <laughs> and and uh, naturally, and sometimes, you know, he had assistance, but he was fuck. He could go from zero to 60 in about one second. Yeah, from like 84 till the end, like every story out of Mid-South contains one giant guy who may be on one thing or another, either ripping a door off something, yeah. or holding on to a door, or just something. Well, remember, I told you that story about Hercules Hernandez. That's what I'm thinking of, yeah. I'm, for the newer listeners, I'm coming back from Jackson, Mississippi. I happen to be driving by myself. I think I'd come from interviews. The boys didn't have to go. Whatever. And I see on the side of the road in like one o'clock in the morning, this two-lane state highway this big car and it's driving down the, the shoulder, not the right lane, but the shoulder of the road. It's not an interstate. So it's just, you know, a two lane state highway. He's on the shoulder. He's doing about 25, 30 miles an hour. And the driver's door is at a 90 degree perpendicular angle sticking straight out. <laughs> and I, what the fuck it is. I slow down. I'm going to go run. I see it's Hercules Hernandez. And his girlfriend that he had at the time that got him in a world of trouble in Louisiana, and the, I think the two or three cats that lived in their back seat when they made the, the towns, and I pulled alongside him, and it's like 35, 40 degrees. At, it's late fall, right? In the middle of the night. I said, I just said, what? What? Herc, what? Oh, brother. He had stopped to take a piss. 
And as he was getting out of the car on the side of the road, he said a big truck or 18-wheeler or whatever came along and hit his fucking door. Boom! And now it's stuck and he couldn't close it. And I said, my God, I'm surprised that it didn't take the whole door completely off. He said, well, the lucky thing was I was holding on to it. <laughs> God damn it. It's amazing. So he drove another hundred something miles to Alexandria, Louisiana with that fucking door at a perpendicular goddamn angle. Hey, it's 40 years ago and Herc has been gone for a while. I don't know where his girlfriend at the time was or if he ended up marrying her or anything. About no, her. no, no, no. That There was there was a, a breakup not shortly thereafter. I was going to say, you said she got him into a lot of trouble. What kind of trouble was he getting into? Well, no, she got him in trouble. Whatever the fuck. I, it's been 40 years and I wasn't present on the scene. And Herc didn't tell the most detailed of stories. But they had a fight or whatever because she was kind of weird. I don't know. She just gave the, the cats and the whole thing. She wasn't fucking around with the other guys. Like, who's going to touch her with Hercules, right? But she was just a strange person. And then they broke up. And apparently she called the cops on him for something or other. And I don't remember that anybody alleged that he beat her up or anything like that. But she called the cops on him to get him where they came beating on his fucking door. Maybe she turned him in for the, the gas. I don't know. And when he opened the door and saw the cops, he was not the most welcoming of persons in that fucking instance and they were scared shitless because they seen him on tv so there was about six or seven of them and it was a fucking even match for a while but they got him down with the nightsticks and wow fucking they choked him with a thing where his blood vessels burst in his eyes and all that shit and of course now it was, there was only six of them and they only had the nightsticks they didn't have tasers then so he didn't have to take a day off of work <laughs> I'm serious. They 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 barely got him to fucking jail, and then they, besides resisting arrest, and I think they were kind of overzealous when they came in, I don't remember anything bad happening to him about it, and he was in the territory for a while longer. But, but yeah, so one Hercules Hernandez, six Alexandria City police officers with nightsticks, it was about even, but it was. If he'd had more room in the apartment, I believe he could have come out better. Well, you never get tired of Hercules Hernandez stories, but once again, let's end on the big note. Thank you, Hulk Hogan. Yes, <laughs> for rescuing the, the. Here he comes to save the day. Oh, yes, it's Hogan on the way. With his pal, Ed Wesley. <laughs> okay, you ain't pulling that off either. <laughs> I'm trying and to do I your stupid voice. I wasn't doing a real good voice. I don't know if it's as endearing as mine. I don't know if uh, the friendship or the voice. The voice. Oh. Well, Jim, let's go to some other news that is breaking as we are recording. This is pretty significant news on an international scale. Kazushika Okada, by far the biggest star in New Japan Pro Wrestling, their number one guy, has announced he's leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling. Here's a statement from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Thank you for supporting New Japan Pro Wrestling. Kazushia Okada will be leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling after the conclusion of his contract on January 31st, 2024. We apologize to fans for the abrupt nature of this announcement. 
But join them in wishing <laughs> two weeks. But join the two weeks notice. There you go. But join them in wishing Okada the very best in his future. As the New Beginning series begins this weekend, Okada will appear on February dates on February 11 in Osaka and February 23rd and 24th in Sapporo. Changes will be made to forthcoming cards with an announcement to follow. We appreciate your understanding and continued support. We also have a statement from Okada. When I hold on here, the Japanese are so polite with their official statements. Part of it may be the the automatic translator or whatever, but... um, So his contract is up January 31st. They have obviously made some kind of arrangement where he can make those, what, two or three dates that you... Three dates. Just uh, three dates in, in February, but they're going to change some of the other cards. So it sounds like, oh, God, please make these, right? And uh, apparently they didn't have... Because the way the Japanese obsessively pre-plan, this is apparently new news to them. Well, the other thing, too, is when in Japanese wrestling history did the number one star just leave? But let's... uh, Uh, Never. Go ahead. Let's go to Okada's statement here. I have nothing but gratitude for having been a part of New Japan Pro Wrestling since 2007 and for New Japan Pro Wrestling bringing me from a 19-year-old kid off the plane in Mexico to the rainmaker I am today. Thank you to the best of companies in New Japan Pro Wrestling, to the best of opponents that I've been able to face here, and to the best of fans that have cheered and booed over the years. I promise to make it rain every match I have left, so keep watching. And with that, New Japan's biggest star, the biggest star in Japanese wrestling, the guy who's been groomed to be the biggest star with big victories at the Tokyo Dome and everything else. The guy who put Kenny Omega on the map. The guy so who that, helped, oh, oh, now, now I don't like him already. No, but I mean, it was those matches where you first started hearing about Omega. Right. And it was his matches with Tanahashi that were the ones that kind of revitalized talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, at least amongst excited fans. So this is a big deal. And Tanahashi is the gentleman they just made the president of the company now, right? That is correct, and I think a lot of people thought that would be something that would cause Okada to want to stay. Well, but I guess maybe if they're best friends and bosom buddies, but at the same time, is this an example of, you know, the the biggest star in Japanese wrestling, as you said, has never left, and Noki never you know, left his company, but he did leave, and so did Baba, the JWA, to start their own companies. Yeah. So... But they were never gone from Japan. I mean, I know they, they were, did tours. But they were never gone from Japan. You know, Baba toured America several times, but that was before he had all Japan Pro Wrestling, and Anoki was always trying to do anything just to get his face out there on an international scale, so he went everywhere. But they were always but coming I, back But home. I guess what I'm saying is, 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 does Okada think, well, why not me? Why wasn't I? I'm the I'm the big deal now. He's younger than Tanahashi, right? And he's the star, even though Tanahashi was big. So, is there something to is there something there, or is it, you know, it, it, if the WWE is interested at all in Okada, and you and you your sources say Magic Eight Ball says they are then naturally also it's a Japanese superstar. Tony is going to open his father's checkbook 
and back up the Brinks truck because, oh my God, this is one of the rarest collectibles in wrestling. The biggest star in Japan. My ever-dwindling fan base will cream their jeans over this. And then if he does that... So would he. Well, there you go. But if he does that, then the WWE that's running a business will say, well, it would have been nice if we could have got this guy for a reasonable rate, but we're not going to fucking get in a bidding war with this goof over an unproven talent in this country, in this style. Let the Japanese wrestling collector collect the Japanese wrestlers. Because Okada is great in the ring, but how would the WWE market him are they going to do another deal where they, you know, they make it like the Nakamura videos and do subtitles and he's, you know, an evil Japanese fellow? Or would he, would they try to make him a baby face, but with a limited ability to communicate in promos? How would that work in a company that is literally monologuing and soliloquying us to death on a regular basis? You give him a Paul Heyman. Treat him serious. But, well, but then he's a heel, okay. I can see, but but then uh, can he be an American heel? Does he understand that? So that's, Tony will take him no matter what. The WWE would have to have some idea of how they would fit him into their system, and if they did make any kind of legitimate offer, they'd have to figure out a way for it to be at the top of the cards, which in that company... It, 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 Okada, to me, his his strengths might play more to AEW, where he'd make more money, probably because of Tony, but he would be in front of much fewer people and would not honestly be established as a star past, in this country, past anybody he's already a star to, because that's what they do. So where should he go? Yeah, that's the thing. What does he want? I mean, he's leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's significant. He's a big star over there. He's married to an actress. He's on mainstream shows. Like, he's known. He's a big commodity over there for New Japan. If you're married to a talented actress, how would you ever know whether she's faking? But he's a big star over there, and he's choosing to leave. And I think that's significant for a number of reasons. One, before we even talk about the decision to make where to go... What does that say about what he sees as the future right now of New Japan Pro Wrestling and Japanese wrestling in general? And when AEW signed someone like Takeshita, who we all agree is talented and has size and is young, yeah, and he needs seasoning, but when he's over here, someone like that isn't over there. And there aren't a lot of Takeshitas. It's one of the reasons he stands out. There aren't a lot of... I don't know, to me right now, you worry about the next generation of Japanese wrestling more than ever before. There aren't strong leaders like Enoki and Baba, who ran their own companies. There are guys that get put in nice positions for New Japan, which is owned by someone else. Owned by a big corporate uh, conglomerate. But why would you stay there if you know that it's going to be a rough road ahead? If you have any aspirations of doing anything in wrestling... Why would you stay there right now if you're Okada? Unless you're just happy being home. Unless you want that AWA lifestyle. I don't know what you would call it. But yeah. America, you have two options here. Tony Khan will offer you the most money. I'm certain of that. You will have kind of the ability to just wrestle an easier schedule. 
not have to wrestle that often. You may have to fly into TVs every week. It'll be a very loose backstage environment. I don't know if he wants a structured environment or a very loose, a loose environment where fights or drama break out everywhere you turn. Or, or you know, again, just on a more, uh, on a basis of looking at the product, there's obviously changes and or last minute and or haphazard booking and or, you know, no structure on what each match is supposed to do or deliver or those type of things, which again, may not be a good introduction to a guy like that to American wrestling who is going to, he's on a learning curve to figure out how to get over here, which is... If that's what he wants. See, that's you know, the, that right there is the issue. Because if he just wants to get paid a lot of money and wrestle over here with some guys that he likes, AEW would afford him a very leisurely lifestyle. Yes. He will be happy and there'll be no pressure on him. He's 36 years old. So whatever he's going to do, this is the time. Because what are they going to sign him to? A three-year or a five-year deal? 36. He has to do it now. So if he ever wanted to be even in the talk for a WrestleMania main event, you have to do that now. Well, no, but, but I'm saying, but you know what? You haven't really watched him. I'm telling you he's really good. It depends on how they would use him. It depends how he adapts to America. It depends how he's used on TV. As a as a heel with Heyman in his corner, I could see a WrestleMania main event. I can't really see under any other. Okay, well, let's say he could see it, though. The point is, can he see it? And if he sees that a WrestleMania main event is the kind of thing he could do, he's 36 years old. It's now. It's not going to be, okay, I'm 39 or I'm 41. My contract's up. Do you still want me? If there was ever a time for him to do something, take advantage of his position and the wrestling world with WWE would be now. His, but value, does he, his value wouldn't be as high coming out of AEW. Does he know these things, I wonder? Or does he listen to some of the younger guys that he's probably associating with more often who say, oh, it's great in AEW. Tony, all the checks are good and you can do whatever you want. And does he understand how he would need to apply himself here to... Or does he think it'll be easy because he was the star there? Remember, remember, he was the one that... I'm, I actually... When I was with TNA, he was there for a little while before I left. And he was... This, they were using him as a flunky, as fucking Kato or whatever, because of shit stain. And I'm not saying they should have put him in the main events then, but you could tell he was a talented athlete. I'd watch him work out, and his workouts were better than the matches. But, uh, you know, so he's obviously well aware that you can come here and be treated like a fucking clown. I mean, the other path is, and again, WWE probably won't give him as much as Tony. I mean, I guarantee you they won't give him as much as Tony just to start. Right. He may even have to go to NXT. And I don't say have to, like he doesn't have the talent, but like you said, there's an, you have to adapt a little bit to what's happening over here. Well, he's he's going to have to be able to figure out how to work with the rest of the roster. They're not going to send the rest of the roster into training to figure out how to work with him. Right. And then, you know, that's a thing for WWE that they do. You have to work WWE style. They're not going to change everything. So someone's working your style. And, you know, then like Rob Van Dam, he kind of just stayed with his own style the whole time he was there. Well, yeah, the, well, the, the modern day Argentina Rocca. But and that's another uh, Okada, even even beyond wrestling. A lot of NXT is, yes, he's done TV in Japan. And I would bet you my left nut 
that the New Japan television is not orchestrated and produced and, and rehearsed and the, the music cues and the cue to disappear and all that other shit. That's another thing they teach in NXT is working the television programs that the WWE does. Again, he's main evented the Tokyo Dome. And I know it's a big deal. But whenever you see footage of it, it looks dark. It looks drab. I mean, they do what they can. They have their stage and their pyro and everything. But it just doesn't look, to me, all that grand. It's just like, we have a big room. Let's get a big ramp. Well, remember... WrestleMania is WrestleMania. If you're someone who's made money, you're in this business, and you want to do something more, do you want to just go wrestle the way you've been wrestling and doing what you've been doing in AEW? And at least you'll get like a Wembley which is going to be like fucking Texas Stadium every year. It's going to be a little bit less. Or do you want to do WrestleMania? Or do you want to be a part of WWE if they do something in Japan? You're going to be on a worldwide state. I mean, it's all about that, Okada. That's, that's probably their, his biggest value to them, depending on how serious they are about doing something over there. That's probably why they would want him in the fold. But how how far would that would that want stretch when Tony's just throwing stupid money to have the Japanese star? And then in AEW, it's like, okay, you'll get him and Danielson. If Omega ever can walk again, you'll get him and Omega. You can get him and MJF at some point, if MJF is back at some point. But after a while, Moxley, if you're really into Moxley, but he runs out of people there. You put him in the top of WWE, if he got to that point, going with everything you said. But if he got there... There's endless guys for him to have runs with. Cody, Orton, Punk, Rollins, Drew, you can now throw in that mix, let alone everything happening with the bloodline and everything. And Brock's about to come back, apparently, (laughs) which is exactly what we need. (laughs) I mean, it's really, the decision he makes will say a lot about his drive, unless it's a financial thing purely. My favorite is still Will Ospreay, who said, you know, he took the AEW offer over WWE because he could spend more time at home in England. It's <laughs> <laughs> just one of my favorite things. But I guess that's the question. What would you do if you're Okada? Well, 36 I, years old. Again, I would, I would think like you were thinking, but I don't know how he thinks. So, and, and also, you know, if he was like, you know what? I can't do that fucking rainmaker and land on my insert sore body part here. Very much longer, but I'm hearing, I've heard from, from Kota Ibushi that this fucking billionaire will sign you, let you do other shows that you get hurt on, and then pay you while you have multiple operations. So maybe it's an insurance policy. If he knew that he, he said, oh, I don't know if I can do this too much longer, I'm going to get this fucking money, and, and, and it's already out. The word is out that he won't fire anybody. He could sign Okada for five years. Okada could get hurt in three months and Tony'd pain. So there's something to be said for that. Well, you know, one last point on this and we'll move on. With this news, and Okada's not leaving New Japan to go sign with DDT. <laughs> so with this news that Okada's coming stateside, with the news that Julia, the biggest star in stardom, the biggest women's wrestling company there, she's leaving. She's coming stateside and it appears it'll be WWE because AEW... From what we heard, AEW wasn't going to sign her, and WWE should sign her. What does that say about the state of Japanese wrestling? The two biggest stars and the two biggest men's and females companies, they're leaving at the same time 
to try to make it in the States. Well, maybe they know something we don't know. And you mentioned that when Baba and Anoki ran their companies, they were strong leaders. They were wrestlers. They were stars. They were wrestling people. They understood. They, you know, Anoki had his flights of fancy on a regular basis. Baba was the steady, rock-solid guy. But they lasted for decades because they knew it. It was them. It was like Vince, right? It, it was like fucking Eddie Graham, whatever. Now, New Japan, the only company that's really of a of a size, and they own, <clears throat> you know, the women's company also, or the the same conglomerate. Um, it's like it's like WCW in the Turner days. They're owned by a corporation. That's the last couple of head honchos haven't been wrestling people. They've been executives, and you know they've done what they can do, but maybe. Maybe it needs, they're just in need of, like America's in need of, strong wrestling leadership, for heaven's sake. But you mentioned the TV shows in the 1970s and early 80s when we started getting the Japanese tapes. That was the best television production of wrestling in the world. Your mouth would hang open compared to what was being shot in the States and the territories because they were on network TV in Japan. Whether it's uh, TVSI or or um, NTV or whichever the Nippon. networks were then, Nippon TV, and that's why that it was so popular in Japan and so well shot, and the library still exists and all that stuff. This was network business over there, whereas the the business in America was local stations in the territories. Now it's reversed. Not only is wrestling here on network TV, the networks are paying for it. And meanwhile, I don't know what New Japan specific TV deal is, but they have not been in prime time in years and years and years and are probably paying for a lot of their production in their New Japan world, etc. So now the WWE is the state of the art when it comes to television production. And like you said, even the Tokyo Dome they're doing what they can do. And it's, it's, there's wrestling always follows the same kind of pattern, just in different places at different times around the world. And a lot of what's happened in America has happened in Japan too. Outlaw promotions, indie promotions, uh, lowering the bar on the standard of work, Americanized, uh, you know, wrestling pollution with the run-ins and the garbage matches. And, you know, at the same time, the television situation reverses over time and everything reverses over time. This might be the time for the top Japanese to get out of, ja of Japan. Because maybe they, they see, yeah. Well, time will tell. I mean, that's a pretty significant story. It says a lot about the state of Japanese wrestling in 2024. And more importantly, I guess the state of American wrestling or companies based in America in 2024, whether it's run by Triple H or someone who dresses like a exotic Bolshevik at his Antonio Kanoki. Antonio Kanoki. Yeah, what do you want to do? Go work for Triple H or Antonio Kanoki? I'm telling you, better than the Russian look, he needs to go back to the scarf and, and he'll appeal more to Okada. I think it depends how much Okada wants to be hugged. That'll really be the deciding <laughs> factor here. But Jim, speaking of Antonio Kanoki, 
AEW Dynamite. <sighs> uh, Kanoki. Uh, there's no transition here. Existed again this week. AEW Dynamite from uh, a town I don't remember. They were they. Where were they? It was January seventeenth. I I can't remember where they were. Uh, you can't tell at this point. They're they're taking tighter crowd shots. And now they're they're shooting like eighteen people in one section of chairs rather than a wide shot. But I I don't want to spoil things. I don't have any idea what the ratings pattern was. You know when the fall off occurred or what happened. Uh, there's a fall off every week, but I know they were up somewhat this week. And as we go through this, maybe you can try to. I guess we'll when we. When we do the quarter hours, we'll figure out what the people wanted to see. But do you do you attribute them being up at all with this show to the curiosity over Tony's Twitter meltdown over gender and and defending Hook versus Samoa Joe to the point where they had the match that went too far? Is that what people were interested in, or was it that? The buckaroos were going to come back and try to explain themselves no. if they could. No, I think we've proven that the bucks drive people off. They don't get people in the door. I actually think that it could just be less competition this week, but it also could be, even though it's not a good build or a traditional build, what they've done with Joe and Hook was slightly more and slightly better than what they do otherwise with everybody at else. the end of the segment last week where joe had been challenged by swerve who was challenged by adam page who also challenged joe and then hook came out the crowd was into it hook got in his face wasn't intimidated by him told a little bit more of a story as stupid as that sounds than most of the things they do and then they did a video this week that was just on youtube or you know social media of hook it looked like he was eating pizza on St. Mark's Place, <laughs> which I think is funny because I think he's from Long Island. So if they drove into the city just to shoot <laughs> that, that's fucking hysterical. And St. Mark's Place, as we all know, is now dead as it looked in that thing. But it was a good promo for Hook. He wasn't intimidated by Joe. And I think that, on top of Tony Khan's fucking manic behavior, and we could discuss how much of that is real versus strategic i think it caused people to be interested in this out of everything in AEW, what is any buzz like swerve is a person that people want to see but in terms of things happening or programs what is any buzz positive buzz because even the bucks thing like the bucks fans are happy about it it's just all those other people who are not bucks yeah. fans just all those other people who have bought tickets to see Sting's last match and didn't want to see it fucking fucked up with these children, but we'll, we'll get there. But anyway, um, I think part of it had to be, and I wrote, can you imagine if they gave this build to any other match? They, they even had, when the show started, there's Joe coming into the building and Hook coming into the building. It's like Austin versus fucking Rock or whatever. And of, the, of all the matches, he does this one, he puts this much promotion in this one just to fuck with Twitter and the WWE fucking fans and the gender thing rather than when he had, you know, MJF and Danielson didn't get this fucking 
awestruck treatment from everybody. And I'm like, so somebody knows how to do something there. It's just they they pick this to do it with. And I'm not knocking Hook. We'll we'll get there when we get to the main event. But uh, the first match, the TNT title match, Christian Cage with his assorted band of nattering nabobs of negativity against Dustin Rhodes. And yeah, it you can't argue with the talent that these guys have. And both of them are working their ass off for their age. And they even do some new style shit, but at least it's professionally done. And the, it's when guys like this are having a match on AEW, the level of professionalism in the ring goes up exponentially. But they still end up with the screwy finishes that and the overbookingness and the whatever. And the fact that they, they obviously Tony's formatted this. Did we need to see this for the first 20 minutes of the entire program? Could we have been a little briefer? But the finish was <sighs> Christian brings the title belt into the ring. He gets a two count with a frog splash, right? And then he brings the title belt into the ring. But Aubrey Ed, the referee, stands in front of him and says, Nay, you can't bring that in here and takes it away for. And, They've they've changed the rules. If if the referee used to catch you with a foreign object, you were disqualified. But now they take it away from you and hand it out. And it takes so long to hand it out that other people can do shit behind your back. Like Dustin Small Package Christian, Aubrey Ed, I guess she couldn't get her front hooves around the fucking belt or whatever. She's still handing it out. Nick Plain jumps in and switches the small package. And jumps out and gets a two count. So needless heat on the referee. Dustin comes back with his buckle ball kick. And then hits a superplex and a crossroads gets a two count. But then, so now we've already moved on and forgotten about it. Nick shouldn't have interfered. The belt spot was unnecessary. It's too modern WWE-ish. Dustin hit the... Uh, <clears throat> hit the big crossroads two count, and then Nick distracts Dustin, so Dustin just rolls out on the floor and gives him a Canadian destroyer on the floor. Besides the fact that Nick was not stretchered off, it hurt Dustin more than it hurt him. You see Dustin landing flat on the goddamn floor, and then he just gets up like nothing's wrong. And... <laughs> Christian runs Dustin into the post between the turnbuckles and sets up for a spear, and Dustin takes forever to turn around. This is the one thing, the timing. They, they, had, they had the people up with whether it had been the ball kick or the superplex, the crossroads, or the Canadian destroyer, and then this took so long for him to turn around and get the spear. And then Christian hits his finish, the kill switch, unprettier, whatever the fuck. Two count! What the fuck? And then he picks Dustin up and hits his finish again, just barely, almost lost him, not as good as the first one. And that's the one, two, three. Which was flatter than a plate full of piss. It should have been the first one. What? I know Dustin is 
an excellent worker. And he's at his age, he's in tremendous shape. But you don't need to protect him <laughs> that much. And also, it they had him and then they lost him with all the... It was too much at the end. Capitalize when you got a flow going. Do you see what I'm saying, Brian? I do. But that's every match. I mean, I know these guys are veterans and they can do other things, but every match now, especially a lot of the times when it's older guys working in front of a younger crowd or a crowd that expects it, it's the same thing everyone else does. Kick out of everything, do big shit on the floor, do big shit in the ring, whatever. Kick out of everything until you don't. And Christian is the TNT champion. He's the one they're pushing now. He's a top heel being used every week on television. Dustin is a baby face that's used in a legend position. You don't need to make him look like Steve Austin before you beat him. And it, ju it just... Eh. And that was 20 minutes of the program. Uh, would you like to move on? Oh, yeah. Well, Renee Moxley good. <laughs> and Chip Chip and Tully Rot and all that sort of bunk. Yeah, whatever. Teletubbies, whatever the fuck they're... Anyway, she's in the back with Chris Jericho, and they got the the crowd audio pop when they saw him on the screen, and then they turned it down and muted it before anybody could do anything else in any other kind of reaction. So we still don't know how they're going to take him this week or next week or whatever. They're going to boo him. They're not letting this thing go away. And... They're not saying anything. I could tell you, I posted something this week that someone sent in who worked on the Collision Battle of the Belt show in the building. They didn't work for AEW. They worked for the building staff. Yeah. And they were told on that sheet, according to what we were sent, no signs. What was the exact phrasing? Nothing negative about Chris Jericho. Well, I... Yeah, whose name I they was, misspelled, by the way. Yeah, well... And somebody online was a, see, that's proof it's a forgery. They misspelled Jericho's name, you fucking nitwits. Remember when they misspelled the trademark application for their Saturday night collision show? Collision. Collision. AEW Collision. I think they still have that trademark, right? Yeah, well, and, and, and I bet it's safe. Nobody's going to fucking take it away from them. Um, but, uh, but also it was n nothing mentioning Kylie Ray. Uh, nothing detrimental to Chris Jericho. Uh, no Jericho slash Kylie Ray yeah. signs is what I've, I remember reading. But that that's what they give out to the building personnel, the security, the old Andy Frayne ushers or whatever the security and door person company is so that they see these things. It's not posted up in the goddamn locker room. It wouldn't do any good there. Nobody in the locker room can prevent anything outside. Well, again, this is something that was sent to us by someone who said they worked on the building staff, and uh, we checked it out. It appears he did indeed work on the building staff yeah. that day, and we're not getting any denials from the company or anything. AEW could say whatever they want. The only person in AEW I want to hear from is whoever deals with the buildings, because that would be the person who communicated that. Right. The point is, this isn't going away. There are people thinking about it because there's no answer, and you're just supposed to accept these weird scenarios where either he runs out with his music blasting or he does a pre-tape in the back with loud, fake audience noise behind him. Or they fight in the parking lot for 15 minutes. Eventually he has to be out there. You guys got to say something. 
You got to say something. And the fact that you haven't said anything, even the biggest AEW defenders are like, well, you know, why would you acknowledge this? Why would you acknowledge that everyone's saying that the guy may be a sexual predator or something? Or whatever they're accusing him of? You got to say something. It doesn't go away. So that's the Chris Jericho promo. I mean, did you see him well, on Twitter this week? No, he wasn't back on Twitter. He was. He tweeted out, because I saw this the other day, you can't soar with the eagles if you surround yourself with turkeys. <clears throat> to which someone responded before he turned off commenting, did the turkey sign an NDA? <laughs> and then no one was allowed to comment any further. Hey, stealing my old material anyway. With mean? the Rock and Roll Express, I'd cut the promo. I'd say, do you want to soar with the eagles or scratch with the chickens? He's a thief. Sounded better when I said it. Well, what he said here on this interview with Renee was that the tag team title was stolen from them by the Fallis family. They had Big Bill and Reggie Starks right where they wanted them, out in the mulch bed. And the Fallis family ruined it. Our boy Take hit him in the head with the, the kendo stick. And then suddenly, Matt Seidel out of nowhere comes in kind of awkwardly. And Matt Seidel, a great young athlete, but he can't cut a promo to save his fucking life. As Mama Cornette would say, he couldn't say Suey if the hogs had him. He sounds nasally and unconvincing. <laughs> and he told Jericho that Jericho needs to fight somebody that's beaten him before, like me. So now we've seen Seidel's a babyface. Last time we saw him months ago on this television program, he's not a big, ugly, loud, trash-talking heel that one might think that you would cheer Chris Jericho against. It, it, it's he's some little fucking baby-faced-looking smiley babyface. And he tells Jericho that Jericho needs to fight him because he's beaten Jericho before. I would not have a job guy come out on my television program and remind people, even if it was true, that years ago, this little fucking jobber beat my top fucking star. Would you? Why? Because they're, they're promoting a Rampage match. And Jericho, you're challenging me? Let's do it on Rampage. The show that nobody watches. That's every promo. Every promo backstage with Renee on Dynamite is someone talks for 10 seconds and then someone else comes in, challenges them, or alludes to wanting to challenge them, and then the match is made for Collision or Rampage. Yeah. Every and, time. And that Tony thinks that's booking. He said, well, now we're promoting the other shows. No, you're just listing endless matches that people don't care about and don't want to see just because they're good. Nobody wants to see Chris Jericho wrestle Matt Seidel. It doesn't make any sense, and it's not been uh, the subject of a goddamn national campaign to make this match happen. It's just some random guy comes in that's not at the other guy's level. Oh, well, we'll fight on Rampage. That's why nobody's watching it. There's nothing carrying over, no issue, no personal issue or rivalry or any type of ongoing program carrying through these programs. He just makes matches and has guys blurt them out. That's not booking. 
that's and that's what this was. That's not booking. That's crap. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about crap or a box of crap. We're here to talk about a box of awesome. How's that you for know, a transition? That's exactly where you will get no crap in your box of awesome. No, the box will contain awesomeness is all you're going to. And as a matter of fact, we got an even upgraded box of awesome this past month. Because remember the Weekender bag that I told you about? The fine Weekender bag with the canvas lining and the the leather straps and buckles and everything that Stace was using as an art supply kit for her painting and art. Yeah. The one she got was tan, but we just got a navy blue one, the navy blue canvas that she loves even better. And she's given the other one to her friend that does art also, so they can be all arty. But these things are incredible, as is everything you get from them. Did you get the the solid uh, cologne last month in your box of awesome. No, here's what I got. I have the card right here. It's the Soothe package. They sent me an after midnight candle. They sent me blueberry scrub daily moisturizing lotion. They sent me rising moon and rising sun bath soaks and tranquility aromatherapy oil. See, because they know your special interest is you need to be calmed down. <laughs> Well, Suzanne you're too, is, uh, you're too highly strung. Suzanne has rated it, and she has uh, declared it hers now. Well, that's what most of the time, you know, we, uh, the box of awesome comes, and your awesome spouse may co-op some of it. But I, I got the solid cologne. It comes in a stick, and you rub it right on instead of having to spray, and there's less waste that way. And you can put it right in this little tin thing. Looks like a matchbox car, and keep it your. You got cologne in your pocket, no bigger than a. And one of those key holder type of things. It's an amazing invention. This is the kind of stuff you're going to get, folks, in the Boxes of Awesome from BoxofAwesome.com from Bespoke Post. That's what you do is you go to BoxofAwesome.com and you fill out a little quiz to tell these fine folks what your interests are and what kind of different things that you like. And then they release new items every month across a ton of different categories. and you will have access to stellar discounts across a plethora of products, 30% or more sometimes off on all this stuff than you would normally pay if you were just some mark walking the street. But you're in the, you're in the family when you sign up with Box of Awesome and you're supporting small businesses because 90%, Brian, of everything that comes in your Box of Awesome is from, as we mentioned before, a small up-and-coming brand a mom-and-pop shop, somebody trying to scratch by and make a living as best they can, and these Box of Awesome people come in and swoop And help them and, out and do a good job of making sure their fine product gets taken across the nation to yes. many people, including the listeners of this show. Yes, they buy this stuff in bulk at a fraction of at what At a fair pay. price to help mom-and-pop, and they and, bring it right to you. And then they're shipping it out to you. You're paying almost nothing for this stuff that people work their what fingers to the bone to create. It's a deal. Let's not think about the fingers. Let's think about the hard work and the satisfaction from a good day's work. Well, they're certainly not going to give you the finger over at Box of Awesome. If you sign up with them, they're going to give you their box. And I'll tell of you awesome. what. Uh, th that's exactly right. And it's awesome. I'll tell you what, I've, I've, I've rated a lot of boxes in my time, and these are one of the most awesome boxes. You know, there was that one girl one time went into bed. I never did see her wrestle, but I did see her box. Behind the dumpster. 
But nevertheless, it's free to sign up at Box of Awesome, and you can skip a month or cancel any time. But then if if you skip a month, you'll never know what you would have gotten. And right now, here's something else different than what we've normally talked about. You can get a free mystery gift with your first monthly shipment. So a, a free gift of some kind in addition to the Box of Awesome, so it'll be extra awesome. When you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code JCE at your checkout, that's how you get the free mystery gift. It's not only a mystery, it's free. So right now, boxofawesome.com, the code is JCE for a free mystery gift along with your first monthly box of awesomosity. That's right. Box of awesome, not a osity, but... What is that promo code? One more time, Jim. JCE, if they don't know it by now, I don't know how I can potentially drive it into their heads any further. That's right. If you don't know it by now, go listen to Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Yeah. But back You're to never, never gonna know me. Oh. I wish I never met you. Jesus. Well, I know something that wasn't very awesome. Brian, you t- I hate to disappoint you. All the things you do for me, I hate to let you down. You told me that I should watch this match just to g- get shit to make fun of. But I gotta it's not be... not exactly I, the way I put it. Pockets and Trent with Muffin Top Taylor <laughs> in their corner against Commander and Pinta Osolomio. With Alex, who used to be interesting and now just hops around. And uh, no, I can't. What the fuck? This is another of the reasons. It's not even that these are guys that that are just unknown but are talented and good and that could get over with an audience if you (laughs) expose that audience to them. It's every indie wrestling school training seminar tryout match that nobody's ever been stupid enough to put on TV before Tony Khan. And if it, part of the being a, an aspiring young talent that needs TV time to be featured to get over is you have to look like something. And that immediately lets almost everybody here out. I guess Penthouse looks like something, but he does the same shit he's been doing for five fucking years. And Commander is, at this point, I think we've probably realized a a complete and total loss. It's another gymnast with the combative parkour. Pockets, his flaws have been gone over in granular detail. And then you got poor Trent, who we've said... He can work, and he looks like a grown adult man at least, but he plays with these children, and he's been presented as an idiot with a mother driving a minivan for so fucking long that nobody's going to take him seriously. And you got that skinny, fat, hatchet-headed-looking moron muffin top standing in the corner taking up oxygen. And this lasted 15 minutes on national television, just the match. And then after that... Here come Roderick Strong, Matt Taven, and Mike Bennett. Supposedly the henchmen in the the top heel group, or what is the top heel group around here? The Devil's Men. 
They just orchestrated the the change of the world title and the you know putting out of action of the top star in the company MJF and they come out and Roddy challenges pockets for the Dollar General store fucking belt he's wearing. So the top heel group now is facing off with indie jobbers. And Roderick was not a good promo here. It was a rotten promo. He had nothing to say. It was a rotten challenge. It was a rotten match. And it will result in another rotten match with Roddy having a stooge for this fucking cartoon character because Tony thinks he's cute. And while the challenge was going on, the fans were chanting, shut the fuck up on television. And not because Roddy has that much heat. Because they genuinely wanted him to shut the fuck up. That's what I saw. What did I miss? Remember Wardlow got that big win over MJF and then like he started feuding with Mark Sterling and security guards. And the security company. That's the equivalent of this. These guys have their big heel moment. They're revealed that they're not goofs with giraffes. They're serious people that were playing a long fake on MJF and the viewers of this program for reasons that we don't really understand. And then they go right to this. This is the first thing you see them do that's really a confrontation with anyone since then. They're confronting Orange Cassidy and Trent. I don't know what to say about this. And again, if anybody that just watches WWE these days, because like it or not, a lot of people think that wrestling is the WWE. They're interchangeable these days. But if anybody stumbled on this program or said, hey, I'll watch the, the new group or the new show or whatever, and they would turn this and just see this in the ring, they would immediately, <laughs> okay. It's lost opportunities putting shit like this that's not even ready for cable access on your national program. That's anyway. And uh, by the way, have you noticed that the hangnail is trying so hard to sound badass and look like something that now he's morphing into Magnum TA? Well, he's grown his mustache thicker. That's the key now to being a bad guy, like Jack Perry. When he went away and he came back, thicker mustache that's the key <laughs> to showing people that you're you mean it that you uh you really mean it oh yeah and and jack perry he took it a step further i think he became lycanthropic while he was gone <laughs> or maybe he just took some testosterone to get some replacement therapy going on for the fact that he didn't have any pubic hairs and now he's sprouting shit out of his fucking cheeks and Look, off the backs of his knuckles it's a little ridiculous when you consider everything he's been since day one of AEW, despite talent. He's been a sad, drunk cowboy. Not even a cowboy. The whole thing was like, he's not a cowboy. He's going to do cowboy shit because what the fuck? I don't know what a cowboy is. I'm from Virginia or whatever. Yeah, he's a morose, uh, alcoholic, friendless cowboy who had to take his only friends for rides on his lawnmower. And, and now he's suddenly fucking Rambo. This, I think, is a step in the right direction. Let him change his look a little bit without changing everything. Grow the mustache a little thicker. If that causes him to see himself as Magnum TA and never smile or do anything dumb again, then it's a positive. He does a lot of things dumb when he's not smiling, Paige. So that doesn't really preclude anything. 
Anyway, the one segment that I enjoyed didn't go on long enough, but they played Mark Briscoe's music and he came out to the entranceway because it was uh, the anniversary one year ago of Jay's death and he did a promo on the stage. And, you know, again, he's so good. He's so unique. They both were. And I just, I'm sad every time I see him now because what a missed opportunity. And that's another thing that AEW could have done better than the WWE because the AEW fan base, they all knew the Briscoes. They cared about Jay. They were tuned into what had happened. A lot of the WWE fan base probably wouldn't have been. And Tony had this guy handed to it. I'd not even, we never did get a satisfactory answer or any kind of name being fingered on the supposed reason why the Briscoe brothers were not on TBS, despite the array of felons and reprobates and scoundrels that they have not only aired on their network, but given television programs to. But when Mark was handed to Tony at a point where he could have been the biggest baby face in the company and carried the ball, because not only is he a unique talent, but also an incredible person who will not, you know, he'd walk through hell with gasoline britches on to show up for work and do what was right. And, and Tony fumbled this. So, but Mark came out and cut a promo and brought Jay's kids out, including his, his nieces were in the car with him. And one of them was hurt so badly, they said she wouldn't walk again. And she walked out to the stage and got a nice round of applause. And he hugged them and they played the tribute video they had done for Jay. And, you know, again, besides anything else, if I was in charge of the biggest wrestling promotion in the world at any time in the last 10 years or 15 years or whatever, I would have made the Briscoe brothers the tag team champions and they would have been presented on the same level as the singles champion and they would have drawn money. And it's a shame that they didn't get that opportunity because there'll never be anybody else like these guys in the business. They could have been on top in any territory at any time period in the history of wrestling. Or at least after the TV era. Because a lot of it was talking, but anyhow, so we go from a missed opportunity and from talking about the best tag team of the last 10 years in the wrestling business to the, the smudge and the muck and the filth that bubbles to the top of the swamp of tag team wrestling, the two smarmy, self-absorbed children, Matthew and Nicholas. The buckaroos and what they had to say for themselves about coming out and confronting staying in a dastardly manner last week. And they actually, they obviously didn't trust these guys to come out live because neither one of them is a CM Punk or a Cody Rhodes or someone who can carry a a long live promo in the ring without people hooting them down because nobody wants to listen to these two fucking pricks. More like a Mosca Jr. Angelo Mosca Jr. could give them a <clears throat> a good run on his promo skills here. Um, but they did a sit down in the back with Renee Moxley Good so they could take as many swings at it, I guess, as they wanted to. And if this was the one they aired, I can imagine what the other one sounded like. 
But Brian, what did we say here when we heard they were taking time off to come back with a new look? We said they're going to do a takeoff on them really being smarmy, self-centered fucking douchebags and prickish EVPs. And son of a gun, wouldn't you know who won the pony? They're the first thing they say, we're EVPs. Call us by our God-given names. God didn't give them to you, kids. Your parents did. And it was your father's mistake and not pulling out twice to begin with that led to this whole situation that we're in. Our God-given names of Matthew and Nicholas. We're EVPs around here. We deserve respect. And then Renee asked him, well, what about we've heard about temper tantrums and meltdowns and rumors of backstage and Matthew goes off and he speaks in riddles and enigmas and conundrums and circles and makes inside references and talks about preserving their life's work. If it was your baby, what would you do to save it? The only danger the company's ever been put in is from people not watching it because of you two. And uh, Matthew looked like he was a child dressed as Gomez Adams for Halloween. They've got the little fucking mustaches and the douchey suits. (laughs) And I expected him to start grabbing Nick's arm and fucking kissing up the goddamn from the wrist to the elbow. And what they said in four minutes of this, which started at 8.56 and ended at 9 o'clock, I guess so they couldn't be blamed if the 9 o'clock quarter drops, nobody would understand. Because it's never been talked about on television. None of this has ever been talked about or explained or referenced before. EVPs, any of the fights or the backstage shit. Even the fact that they were in on the ground floor. Now, of course... The AEW fans, because there's a small number of them and news travels fast, they know what they're talking about, mostly. But even still, there were people, remember there were people in the arenas that were upset when Punk wasn't there in September after he got fired or suspended or whichever that deal was. They don't tell the audience what they're talking about. They talk to the sheets. And look, this is a this is a quote. We started AEW. We said change the world, and we did. We spat in the face of tradition. Out with the old, in with the new, but then we lost our way. The culture shifted and toxicity crept into the locker rooms. Actually, he said creeped, because he's not very intelligent. But this it's gibberish to anybody. We started to lean on yesterday's self-serving, superficial, cancerous superstars. They're still wound up about punk. They thought they had won. They thought they got him. And he immediately bops over to the bigger company for much more money and is the biggest star in the business. And they're the ones responsible, in large part, for the initial onslaught of running him off to begin with. They have to look at Tony. And explain to him, well, yeah, it was, we knew he'd be no good for you. All he did was draw you ratings and pay-per-view buys and sold tickets. We can't do that. So then he said, they were leaning on the 
self-serving, superficial, cancerous superstars, a.k.a. money-drawing talent. But then he said, you mentioned Sting. Now, this isn't about him. He's a great guy. He's a model employee. He's awesome. So then who are they? They're talking. God damn it. They're trying to promote Sting's last match, which is the only show coming up that they've sold any appreciable amount of tickets for and that they have interest in. And it's a pay-per-view. And they start cussing out unnamed, self-serving, superficial, cancerous superstars. But the only person whose name they mentioned is Sting. And they clearly said, but we love him. He's not like that. Then why are you going to fucking fight him? Oh, they explain that because it's about what Sting represents. <laughs> He's the last of a dying breed. Sting isn't in line with what we wanted to do in AEW. What? Draw money? Because he's the only one now doing it. You fucking idiots. You can't get your fucking lies straight. You think that everybody is the indie rec center crowd that hooped and hollered when you did your trampoline shit. You're not good. You're not stars. You're not over. You don't sell tickets and you run people away from the TV show. <clears throat> so they're going to have to run. This was a quote. We're going to have to say goodbye to Sting and everybody likes Sting, a.k.a. big stars, to get their AEW back the way they want it. And nobody understands what the fuck they're talking about. And then Renee said, well, are you challenging Sting? And they say, we're, we're EVPs. We'll pull some strings. And here's another thing, Brian. The self-serving, superficial, cancerous superstars of yesterday, the old, the old school, the old culture, these two mullet heads have been wrestling for 20 years just because nobody ever heard of them till four years ago when Tony was stupid enough to put them on his television. Doesn't, does that absolve them of being old-timers because even though they're old-timers, most of that time nobody knew who the fuck they were? How does that work? Shouldn't this be somebody like Hobbs? <laughs> been in the business two years, three years, whatever, some fuck all you old guys. He's there 40, Matthew and Nicholas. What did it with besides that they can't get punk out of their fucking crotch? What did this fucking promo accomplish? Not much. It was exactly what we were led to believe it would be. Uh, we didn't really know what outfit they would choose to wear for this little run here. They always have a little bit of dress up they do for each little minor turn in their character, from smarmy to douchey to. Just all around sucked them. Back to smarmy. Back to smarmy again. This didn't accomplish... This shouldn't reference punk. You guys had your chance. You had your chance to make all the references you want and make money with it. And instead, you did what you guys always do. What was best for you guys and not best for anyone else. The only time they talk about him is when he's not there. That's my point. But when he came back and the one chance that they had to actually be in something that would draw some money, they wouldn't work with him and they wouldn't do the match and they wouldn't have a meeting. But then as soon as he's 
2,000 miles away. Yeah, come on, say that again. I'll say it to your face, motherfucker. No, but they shouldn't even reference him because everyone knows they got their ass kicked. That's the well, other thing. of course. Thing. No one's like, thing. there was an even fight. There's no story that's like, you know, I heard the Young Bucks actually did pretty good for themselves. There's no story. One of them got smashed in the face with a fucking chair. The other one got the <laughs> shit kicked out of him too, while Omega tried to run away and got bitten. You blocked my eye. So, I mean, like, everyone knows that if you're referencing something where you got your ass kicked, there's no payoff. Who are they against? The system? What system? Tony? Again, none of it makes sense. And again, they're playing dress up. And they're not can, And also, promos. can you imagine a pro football player or an NBA star say, well, you know, we were doing good on the team till toxicity crept into the locker room. Toxicity. What? <laughs> you fucking pussy, pansy, dickless, ballless, gutless. It's funny, they don't mean chemical toxicity. Only toxicity of, I guess, people who don't think the way they do. But it's not, other toxicities are okay amongst people they know. But well, there are certain depends on, it depends on your toxicity of choice. That's right. Well, but anyway. How do you think this is going to work? Again, the original rumors were they were going to get the usual stooges, Brandon Cutler and Colt Cabana involved in this, which will do nothing but make their own diminishing fan base happy. Not AEWs, I'm talking about the Bucks. Like, the universe of their crap. It's a smaller audience than it well, used to be. Well, I, I bet you they just told Cutlet and Coulter, they said, well, well, we'll figure you guys in, too. And then, of course, they ran and squealed to the fucking media because uh, they want to be talked about. Yeah, we're going to be in a big group with Maddie and Nikki as soon as all these stars get out of the way. You know, Nick Jackson comes across as a dimwit because he doesn't, like, say anything. But at least he has, like, a blank stare. <laughs> the other one talks, and it's even worse than him not talking, because you're like, man, this guy's putting on a show. He doesn't even believe what he's saying. He can't say it coherently or convincingly. It's kind of like, I have so much to say. Uh, uh, like, there's nothing he's actually saying. Like, you read it. It's not coherent. It's just, here's a bunch of things. You know, did Colin Thompson write that? Oh, he, he's a kid that got into the sugar, and, and he's just, he's hyper. It'll be very interesting. This is going to be a very interesting year for AEW. I'll say that. And and I'll, I'll say one more thing about this. And they still haven't actually said, yes, this is Sting's last match with the Bucks or whatever. But the story was out this past week also that, well, Sting asked for it to be the Buckaroos. You know, he wanted them to. Well, that's where Tony as the boss should have said, you know what, Sting? I love you, but you're crazy. We need, and I'm not saying Sting should have singles. Somebody said, well, Sting and Flair carefully booked. No, not no, not hell no, but, <laughs> but Sting and Darby Allen in a tag team match, playa, not a bad idea. We mentioned FTR. Somebody said, well, they're baby faces. Well, when does that stop anybody in this company? And because there's the <laughs> North Carolina connection, and FTR, really and truthfully, the only reason they're babyfaces is because they were so good as heels and were treated so badly in the booking that people got sympathy for them. They could have made some kind of issue out of that. They could have, because there's Maddie and Nikki out in California watching Nadia Comaneci and Olga Corbett as their idols. There was Dax and Cash in the Carolinas watching Crockett Wrestling. They could say, we want to be the ones. We would either end your career or we want to find out if we're as good as you are. Yeah, whatever the fuck. 
But as somebody that could have had a good match that could have meant something instead of this, what we're going to get, which is going to be the Bucks doing shit with poor old Sting in the middle and Darby trying to kill himself. And there's the other problem. Either Sting defeats the heel tag team was just coming back and <laughs> yeah. needs to be established or they beat Sting in his last match in front of the Greensboro crowd. You know what? I want to see that. I <laughs> oh, come see on. Oh, that's I want to see. No, I want to see that. I want to see him pull out a fucking set of nucks and knock Sting out and cover him one, two, three, because then they will understand in Greensboro what we felt like in Mid-South. Grown adult men will be coming over the rail to kick the shit out of those two little motherfuckers, and I'll sit back with popcorn and watch it. Only this time, they won't be mad because they believed the wrestling match. They'll be mad because these pricks would actually beat Sting in his last match when he's the one that everybody's paying to see. But you're right. It doesn't make any sense to beat the new heel team coming back, but nothing, none of this makes sense anyway. It's poorly thought out, and everybody gets to do what they want with their friends. And, of course, the other option is it goes to a draw or something, and Sting ends the match by hugging the Young Bucks. And for <laughs> a moment on one night, they're back to being nice little boy baby faces, and then they go back to being bad boys or whatever they are. Well, bad boys, what you gonna do? Turn the channel. Exactly. And speaking of turning the channel... I would bet you that's what a lot of people did next. The match after that was for the Ring of Honor six-man tag team title where Brian Cage, Tia Leone, and Bishop Khan, Nana's jobbers, uh, lost the belts to Light Switch, White, and the Gun Boys. And there was a heel versus heel match, top heels versus jobber heels. The jobber heels went in with the belts. The top heels come out with the belts. The belts still mean nothing. You have any more in-depth analysis on that before we move on? No, I didn't watch it. Jay Good. White's another guy, a guy they brought over from New Japan. He was one of the top stars there. He chose AEW if he did indeed have an option. And does it mean more today than he did a few months ago? <laughs> and boy, Jay White, they tried to push him. It was a, a fruitless endeavor, but they tried to push him as a single, and he still didn't get the build for a title match that fucking Hook got. Anyway... Hmm. Yeah. Deanna Perrazzo wrestled Anna Jay. And then she did a promo in the ring, did Deanna Perrazzo, where she's talking to Timeless Tony out on the floor. She and Tony used to be like sisters, according to Deanna. She was half blown up from the match. And I don't know if it's... If, if she and Tony used to be like sisters, then... Wouldn't she be saying, so you've apparently lost your fucking mind? I don't know. But Tony gets up on Luther's shoulders and called Deanna, Deanna an artificially tanned hag and said she ought to come in there and punch her right in that box. And when she said right in that box, both Renee Moxley Good and Deanna had to laugh because she just said she was going to punch her in the pussy on television. And I wrote, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what is this, Brian? You know, I wish like you could book Tony Storm on like match game or something. Like, I don't want to <laughs> see her in that setting. Her and Gene Rayburn would be fucking dynamite. Here's Brett Summers, Charles Nelson Riley, 
Timeless Tony Storm. Like she fits in. And Fanny Flag. Yes. But I'm not big on the women's division in AEW, despite Anna J being a part of this, and you know, she's just a knockout. But uh I yeah. shouldn't say that. That's a put down too in wrestling. I would say that she's in TNA. Uh, but Anna J looks good and she's uh, athletic. They should sign her in WWE. But I didn't watch uh, the match really. And the Tony Storm stuff, she's entertaining. I just don't like it. The fact that it's one thing if you started the segment in black and white and held it. <laughs> but like just one camera being on black and white, the one that's on her, but everything else isn't. In like the same segment going back and forth is ridiculous. Well, besides that, they did this in hyperspeed. She came out a couple of weeks, kind of losing her mind, and with the by the end of two months, she's gone full on crazy with you know the fake Eric von Stroheim Butler and the goddamn all about Eve protege and the Ben Mankiewicz introduction. Has it been four months since she started getting a little fucking touched in the head, as Aunt Lola used to say? And now, and this is. <laughs> A year and a half's worth of progression. Just, oh, that's funny. This is funny. Or do more of this. It's all funny, funny, funny. Anyway, speaking of funny, how was Top Flight and Private Party? It was a... Uh, yeah. You know, and I like both teams, or at least I'm intrigued by what they could do, but this match didn't hold me to the TV, so I saw parts of it. It looked a little sloppy to me. No leader. Uh, Mark Quinn was just jumping all over the fucking place just from one side. I forgot that that was his spot where he jumps from one side to the other and gets up and does it back and forth. It sounds simple. Looks like he was exhausted by the end. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of getting up and running, let alone the flipping. It was a match that would appeal to the Rampage or Collision audience because of the way these guys have been used when healthy and didn't seem like it fit here on this show. Well, now we come to the main event for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. Samoa Joe defending against the man with the 28-1 record, Hook. And I like Hook. He looks like a, a great young athlete. We haven't heard him talk ever. So that, the jury well, that is promo, still out on that. That promo from St. Mark's Place he was talking. I, I fast-forwarded through that. Or was it was it on television? It was on the internet. Oh, okay. Well, there's a lot of shit on the internet I don't have time to watch. Has he ever spoken on TV? I think he's had like one word grunt answers, like, Ugh, you know. Like, Ugh. Okay. Ugh. But here's the thing. It's he's 28. Tony was defending the choice. He's 28 and 1 in his rec. It's a fucking work, you idiot. And besides that, he's beaten jobbers and indie guys. On YouTube, it is, it's not like he's had a consistent, coherent push over the last several weeks or couple of months to where now he's in line. It's just, you, Tony's numbers appeal to Tony. Everybody else thinks they're gaga because it's bullshit. And visually, this was hard to take, but with how both of them have been presented, this wasn't the, the Ricky Steamboat coming out of nowhere. Right, having been a preliminary guy, and suddenly, boom. You know, this was random and done because Tony was mad at being browbeaten on Twitter. 
And they kept it, you know, they, the entrances started at 9.47 and the bell for the match was 9.51. So they were going to keep it short regardless. Joe is good at this, but Joe either was outvoted in terms of whoever the producer or Tony himself was on this or elsewise, he just wanted to do too much for Hook. Because they... About the first five minutes of this, it was actually one of the better things they've done. Hook opened up with the flurry like a bee on an elephant, but Joe leveled him. And Joe beat and kicked the shit out of him and taunted him and manhandled him and was leading the thing. And Hook would fight back and Joe would sell it kind of plausibly. Right? That he caught him off balance or he hit him with something flying or whatever. And then and Joe would then take back over. At one point, he rock-bottomed Hook on the announce desk. And Hook showed that he had guts. He flipped Joe off the finger, so Joe power-bombed him on the apron. And the doctor was checking Hook, but Hook wouldn't quit. And then Joe power-slammed him and got a two-count. And that's where it's starting to be too much here. Focus back on Joe. But then Joe gave Hook a Death Valley driver and got a two count. And I wrote, nope, they're losing the plot. Joe's having to work too hard now. The whole point of this was to elevate Hook in a loss to a bigger, stronger, more experienced, badder fucking heel that's the world champion. But because Hook won't quit... It elevates him another step, another level in the eyes of the people, and he has a good showing, but then Joe should have then taken back over for the final time, started pulling him up on counts, stretching the punishment out. He wants to show the other guys in the locker room. He's trying to set an example. And then that's when you have whoever your top babyface is that should be getting ready for Joe come out and help the fucking kid. But instead, what they do then, Joe gives him a muscle buster, and Hook kicks out at one. And I wrote, now it's trash. A one-count kick out. I would like to think that Joe was expressly told to do that because he's smarter than that. But who knows these days? And then Hook got up after the muscle buster and hit the ropes and took Joe down with a flying clothesline and another one and a third and threw rotten punches. Kid's got great judo. If he can't punch any better than that, he needs not to punch. He punches worse than a girl. What the fuck? Work on it or take it out, young man. And you can go back and look at the video, and, and I dare you tell me I'm lying. Get your, get your dad's opinion on those punches. And then he suplexed Samoa Joe. So now we have gone from getting Joe over as the badass heel world champion and elevating Hook by losing to a more dangerous, experienced competitor to putting too much work into putting faith in Hook which would work with a guy that you're going to use ongoing as a regular top babyface, but they're not going to do that. And Hook's too green to do it if they were going to do it. So now they've completely changed the goddamn meaning and the way the people are subliminally taking this fucking match. 
And then finally, Joe got the fucking choke on, and the referee was checking hook, and his arm dropped twice, and my DVR froze. But I would like to think that he was choked out at that point. Brian, was he? He was indeed choked out. Hook lost the match. Good. And Samoa Joe retains the title with a little bit of more respect for Hook. But that wasn't the... No! The, the heel world champion is not supposed to get respect for Hook. The fans are supposed to get some respect for Hook for lasting that long against this badass, and the badass is supposed to get heat for treating him like a piece of shit when he finally had the advantage and Hook couldn't do anything about it, and he was helpless. Instead of Hook getting up and making a comeback after the muscle buster. You fucking morons. Does that make any sense? Is This is not like this isn't something that Jerry Jarrett wouldn't have said in fucking five minutes 40 years ago if anybody was listening. Does that make sense how they changed the tone of what they were doing by going too far in the wrong direction with it? I don't disagree with you. But again, in terms of Jerry Jarrett would have said something, there's no Jerry Jarrett there. There's no wrestling mind at the top. There's someone who thinks he is, but he isn't. And booking nuance is not something that's going to be paid much attention to in AEW. Well, I don't care how he books nuance. I wish he'd book his other guys better first before he books these new guys that he's signing, whether it's nuance or old aunts or anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was AEW Dynamite. It certainly was. I feel like we ought to call Stephen P. New and sue for the price of the electricity that I spent with the Louisville Gas Electric Company having my TV on for two hours on this thing. Well, I don't know if Stephen P. New can handle a case like that, and also I don't think I had the music queued up. Oh, here it is. You know, that's what we need to do, Brian. Class action suit, everybody, 800 and some thousand of them, on Wednesday nights, they use two hours worth of electricity on their television. They get together, they file a class action suit, Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 877-50-STEVE, takes the case, represents 800 and some thousand people. For the, He'll get at least... What would you think? That that probably 47 cents of electricity your TV would use in two hours. He'll get at least $400,000 for those 800,000 people because Stephen P. New stands up for the rights of people who have been downtrodden. What do you think? 47 cents for the electricity. I don't know would what that be what talking. it is? I don't know what kind of math you're doing. Or I don't know how much that would A cost. A class but... action suit to reimburse everybody for the electricity cost that they use for watching that TV show for two hours on Wednesday nights. Is it just for the home viewers on TV or is it for people that had to get in their car and drive out there to the building or anyone who went by the signage? Oh, good God. You... No, they ought to file criminal charges. <laughs> I'm just talking about a civil suit here. If you had to leave your home, especially in the weather that we've been having lately, and go down there and pay more to see that in person, 
I think you need to call the law. Or Stephen P. New. We're back to talking about him. And what's yes. His... How do you find that man, Jim? You find him. Well, I'll tell you how you find him. You just look for the vulture circling. And you know that there's another opponent of his in a court of law that's been waylaid and left out in the sun to rot. Stephen P. New, newlawoffice.com, 877-50-STEVE. 877-50-STEVE. I'm working on that one. Yeah. Beautiful, stylish flooring. I was trying to chew on something while I thought you were going to go a little longer and you didn't, so I stopped my <laughs> chew a little early. But is that what you're doing now? You're just taking goddamn meal breaks while I'm ranting and raving about shit? Think you got time? No, because I didn't think you were going to rant and rave. I thought you were going to talk about what a wonderful guy Stephen P. New was. And I said, you know, I just need to eat something. I haven't had yeah. anything. Well, it don't take me long to talk about how great Stephen P. New is. Everybody knows it already. Well, Jim, let's stop talking about eating and let's talk about digesting and digesting these ratings. AEW Dynamite for January 17th on TBS, 8 to 10.04 p.m. All right. And, and, and this is where we're going to find out. Uh, what were they, what were they trying to watch on this program that the number should be up? And that number on average was 891,000 viewers, which is up what 40 or 50,000 for it's always 800 and something, except that one week it was 700 or whatever, but this is up uh, 50 or 60,000 from their norm lately, isn't it? Well, according to WrestleNomics here, this is the highest audience since October 18th, the highest in the key demo since September 20th. Last week was 797, so this is up 12%. Well, there you 12 whole percent. What were they interested in? And 11, I, what was the And 11% by the way above the trailing 4-week average. Well, you know that trailing 4-week average if you if you get enough supplements in you and some vitamins, it, you can start moving that thing without having to drag it. Well, Jim, once again, these were compiled by WrestleNomics, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Quarter 1, 8 to 8.15 p.m. Samoa Joe and Hook video and the start of Christian Cage versus Dustin Rhodes with Picture in Picture plus an ad break. 1,007,000 viewers. So up over a million again from the Big Bang Theory, and Big Bang apparently does over a million viewers, so a rerun of a situation comedy beats their first-run program. But uh, that's where we normally start. Where are we going? And again, the key demo, they started at 467. The second quarter, 8.15, 8.30 p.m., continuation of Cage versus Dustin, the Swerve Strickland backstage promo, an ad break, and then the Chris Jericho, Matt Seidel backstage angle, 997,000 viewers. Okay. And that's something that never happens. They only drop 10,000 viewers. And would you turn off Christian Cage and Dustin? No, if you're already watching it, it was good. Dustin has not been featured uh, on a regular basis, but... It's not like one of these other matches where it was just repetitious shit over and over. So I can see if you were watching that, you might see what the fuck happened. And again, they stayed pretty steady in the key demo and went to 461. That's why I brought it up before, just because at least that was steady this week. Quarter three, eight, five. And uh, this is the first time I can remember where there wasn't a 
major loss coming out of quarter one to quarter two. So they've already got that going for them. Well, they ended quarter two at Chris Jericho's backstage angle. Usually that affects the next quarter, quarter three, 830 to 845 p.m. Commander and Penta El Zero Miedo versus Orange Cassidy and Tremperetta. And the post-match with the Undisputed Kingdom. 897,000 viewers. Oh, boy. Just exactly 100,000. Okay, so... I mean, uh, my God, that was a gift to them, though, because take it on its own. Almost 900,000 people watched that rotten, stinking match with jobbers. That's a gift. Well, I guess so. We go to quarter four, 8.45 to 9 p.m. The Adam Page backstage promo, the Mark Briscoe ramp promo, the Jay Briscoe video, an ad break, and the Young Bucks backstage promo, or backstage interview, I should say, 907,000 viewers. And they came back up 10,000. Boy, that's first quarter to second quarter, they dropped 10,000. Then they drop 100,000, and then they gain 10,000. These are awfully fucking even numbers. Well, the next quarter, the big 9 o'clock hour, 9 to 9. After, after the buckaroos, where do we go from here? After the buckaroos, the big 9 o'clock hour, 9 to 9.15 p.m., quarter 5. The Mogul Embassy versus Bullet Club Gold with Picture and Picture. The post-match with the acclaimed and Billy Gunn. The Adam Cole Wardlow promo, and then ad break, 833,000 viewers. Okay, so they lost uh, 74,000, but still they're, they've just now got to where they normally are in quarter two after they lose 100 and something thousand people. They're down to 833,000, but this has been an excellent pattern so far. And we want to apologize for any technical difficulties. Any of you listeners here, there's some issues on the line due to the weather. But back to this, Jim. Am I having issues again? Slightly, but we want to make sure in case they are a little worse than we anticipate, or just even if they're there, we want to let the listeners know that we know about it and we're on it. And we're going to do nothing, but we know about it. Well, let's go to quarter. Speaking of do nothing, let's go to quarter six. Nine. I shouldn't say that's rude. I didn't even look to see what was in here. 9.15 to 9.30 p.m. Deanna Perrazzo versus Anna Jay with picture in picture and the post match with Tony Storm and an ad break 795,000 viewers. Ouch. Um, honestly, not again. They're almost at 800,000 for what you just described. That's that's a blessing. The blessing continues in quarter seven, 930 to 945 p.m. Top Flight versus Private Party, with picture-in-picture, 754,000 viewers. Ouch. Okay, there went another 41,000. So now we are down 253,000 people from where they started, and 243,000 people from quarter two. This was also the low point in the key demo, 398,000 viewers. You would think almost something like this would boost it because of the high-flying nature of it. (laughs) But down in the key demo, quarter eight, and we have an overrun, 9.45 to 10 p.m., the Sting and Darby Allen video, and the start of Samoa Joe versus Hook, 
869,000 viewers. Wow. And 451,000 in the key demo. So the younger viewers, if you call 49 young, came back. So 115,000 people, they were interested to see what they were going to do with Joe and Hook. They never, they, when was the last main event that they presented on this program any time that gained over 100,000 viewers in the last quarter? I don't recall, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think it's happened. And finally, the four-minute overrun, the finish of the match, and the post-match with Adam Page and Swerve Strickland, 931,000 viewers. So, <laughs> so if they'd have kept the buckaroos and the, the uh, little amateur gymnastics class with top flight and private party and the girls' match out of there, they might have, they would have averaged over 900,000. And you can see immediately after the Bucks, they drop 70,000. Immediately when the people see the, the trampoline exhibition with Top Flight and Private Party, they're at their lowest point of the show. It's not like these things are unusual. It happens all the time. No, Jericho lost them 100,000 people. The Young Bucks lost them a big chunk. Samoa Joe that people are interested in. And again, like I said... Not a conventional build for the match with Hook. But it worked like a hook. You know, <laughs> hook, line, and sinker. People were interested to see what would happen. So much of wrestling used to be about what would happen as opposed to how will they work. Yeah. What will happen? I, I, I wonder if they'll do a hurricane run off the top rope. Uh, it, no, it was, I wonder who's going to win. Will so-and-so get the belt? Oh, well, well they got one. Uh, a good number this week for once. We should give them some applause. Where's my applauder thing? Yeah, there you go. Sounds like an FFA meeting over at the ballroom at the Holiday Inn. All right, well, with that, it's my show, and I say... <laughs> game over. The drive through has closed. Let me get this. Oh, this just hit the computer. What the fuck? A soothing end to a soothing show. We'll be back on the Jim Cornette Experience in a few days. Listen wherever you find your favorite podcast, patreon.com slash Cornette. Go through the archive, going back to 2013, 10 years ago, or 11 years ago now. Patreon.com slash Cornette. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel about to hit 400,000 subscribers. Be one of them today. Maybe we'll get another Jim live video from his office if you do. Patreon.com slash Cornette. No, the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. <laughs> Go to YouTube, uh, the Travis Eckle artwork, full episodes, clips of the episodes, the omnibuses. The Words official. and loud noises. We're very soothed today. We're having a soothing day, ladies and gentlemen. Let me put this down. If you, if you get any more soothed, we'll have to put a mirror up in front of your mouth to see if you're breathing. All right, we're going to end this. We're all on Twitter. We're wherever you find us. We're going to be on our show, The Wrestling News, Cornets Collectibles, the action figures. We will say something about that. Yes, and I love Lamp. At JimCornet.com. All right, until the experience in a few days, as we said, we're going to get out of here on a soothing note. For Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian. For Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally ho!